tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007, a free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call, and Emma is looking after the programme today. Just to, to give you a bit of a heads up, if you're about to set out on a journey around the county and uh, beyond, the flooding on the, some of the roads, pretty bad out there, pretty dangerous as well. Um, so do look after yourselves, won't you? Uh, the bypass in Clonmel, particularly flooded in uh, places. So as I say, do be careful. Coming up on the show this morning, an update on the cost of living protest held in Nina at the weekend. Clanmel will have Christmas lights this year, but we'll be finding out about the detail around that. A racism incident at the weekend. The World Cup kicked off in Qatar. Uh, global politics with uh, Thomas Conway. I'll be joined in the studio by drag queen Tina D. Parton for a bit of crack and uh, the role of orthotics in physiotherapy therapy. Paddy O'Brien will be joining us uh, where that is concerned and in fact Paddy is a, a top class uh, physiotherapist so if you have a query for Paddy you might like to log it with us now on 083 311 you can uh, email at any time and that's tip today at tipfm.com look at the headlines today in your newspapers and there seems to be a sense of glee right across uh, the newspaper headlines today because of course Ecuador ruined Qatar's um, lavish opening night party and uh, by beating them 2-0. We'll be talking about that a little later on in the programme as well. Also on the Times today, a historic global agreement at COP27 Climate Summit is uh, expected to generate trillions of euros for climate-vulnerable countries with wealthy states, including the world's biggest carbon emitters, making uh, payments for loss and for damage caused. Now, to the best of my knowledge and what I've read so far is the detail of that has not been ironed out yet, but uh, there you go. Uh, Irish examiner, money can buy the world but not win. And again, that's making reference to the uh, beating of Qatar in the uh, opening of the World Cup. Also uh, on the examiner today, Ukrainians here to top 70,000 by year end. The number of Ukrainians seeking accommodation in Ireland will exceed 70,000 before the end of the year with an additional 11,500 due to arrive here in the next six weeks. And that's according to the government. To the Irish Daily Mail, and they're leading with the exercise crisis for children aged nine. Children are spending more time on mobile devices and less on their personal health as out-of-school activities plummet to 34% among nine-year-olds. That's according to a new study and a rather shocking one indeed. The Irish Indo, their lead headline, staff in line for payment if firms unfairly refuse remote work. Employers face having to compensate workers with up to four weeks' pay if they don't give adequate consideration to their personal situations when dealing with requests for remote working. You'd uh, wonder about how they would 
police that and examine that. Uh, also on the Indo today, and this is making reference to the COP27 uh, story as well, but Environment Minister Eamon Ryan, and again, he's going to be very controversial with this, I would imagine, but he wants corporation tax collected in Ireland from multinationals to be used to help pay for the harm caused to poor countries by climate change. So I'm wondering uh, what you make of that. Mr Ryan was speaking following a historic decision at COP27 Climate Summit to establish a a loss and damage fund for the world's most vulnerable nations. But Eamon figures that uh, our corporation tax... Uh, should we put towards that again? I wonder what you think about it. 083 311 Now on Saturday, a cost of living protest was held in Nina Town. We spoke to Damien O'Donoghue, member of Cost of Living Coalition in Nina on Friday last, ahead of the meeting, and he joins me now for an update. Damien, good morning to you. Good morning, friends. Good morning to your listeners. And good to talk to you today. I suppose the main question is, how did it go on Saturday? Well, it went well. We were happy with it, the organisers. I mean, it was a bitter cold day, you know. Um, it rained beforehand, but, you know, we still had a good turnout and the people who were there were passionate, engaged. And there's a, it seems to be the beginning of a movement. Like, it was the first protest we've had in Artipurary in a while, especially around this uh, cost of living. Um, so, you know, overall, we were, we were very happy with it. It's, it's a great start. We're hearing numbers of what, about 60 or 80 people? Uh, yeah, well, it was probably 60, 70, 80 down at the station and there was more people coming and going at, at Bamba Square. So I'd say all in with the stewards and everything was probably close to 100, which uh, we were happy with because mm. it was uh, bigger than, than, well, it was bigger than the one in Limerick. Right. Uh, Damien, it plays into a part of our conversation on Friday is that we're not natural protesters. And, yeah. you know, I would have thought that with the way the cost of living is at the moment and the effect it's having on families, that you would have been inundated on Saturday. Well, yeah, I mean, I knew there wouldn't be a huge crowd. I mean, you know, like I said, it could be anything I said to you on Friday from 50 to a couple of hundred. Yeah. Yes, there wasn't an enormous crowd at it, like some of the bigger protests in Nina, like the emergency department closures, the, yes. the handy report, 2008. But uh, it's a start. It's the first one in a while. And like I said, it was bitter. I got a lot of text messages from people that morning, you know, it's a bit cold to bring in the kids. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. You know, uh, so that is a factor. But uh, no, I, look, I th- honestly, I think it was a good start. You, you wouldn't expect, for a first one, you wouldn't expect a huge crowd, but I think it will build. What did you hear from the people present, Damien? I mean, what, what is the general chatter about cost of living? Well, the general chatter is that it's very, very difficult for people to manage. Uh, higher wages was a big one. There's a lot of people working low-wage jobs and struggling, and they're doing 40 hours a week. Uh, people actually, a few people afterwards said to me they were disappointed with the, the lack of elected reps who showed up to it. That was another two people said that to me afterwards. Now, Martin Brown was there, he spoke, and Councillor Shamie Morris, fair play to him, came along as well. But uh, that was it. You know, some of the other elected reps are supposed to be independent. None, I'm not sure how independent they are. They weren't there. But None of the other TDs there, no? No, no, and everyone was invited. All the, the elected reps in the area was, was, were contacted about it. So, so could factor. I just get clarity on that then? You just said one councillor and one TD, is that it? One councillor and one TD, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were the only ones who showed up to it now. Uh, but people obviously had issues as well around. One thing I hear a lot lately is if something goes wrong, people find themselves in trouble. Say the washing machine breaks, the fridge mm. breaks, mm. the car breaks down, and there's a bill of three, four, five hundred landed on people. It's impossible for them to pay it. This is the problem. People, more people than you realise are living week to week. And that was something that was mentioned to me a few times in the build-up to the protest. 
So any major disruption to a family budget then could put them in dire straits, you're saying to yeah. me, is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And I spoke to a woman last night whose washing machine broke and she's uh, she doesn't have the money to, to get another one. Right, so there's, and, a, know, there's no bit of a spare cash anywhere. There's no... Yeah, I think that's the problem. Anytime, yeah. look, it just happens to me. I'm sure it happens to plenty. Anytime you get some money together, mm. it seems to go and something oh, that sure needs to be paid. Yeah. Yeah. You know the way it is, yeah, yeah. And it's just a little bit worse. And look, the issues I mentioned to you on, on Friday, I won't go through them all again, but mm. they, were, they were mentioned, you know, about uh, the fact that you know, pensioners are struggling to stay warm. A lot of people are using the food bank. And uh, the 20% of the Irish population now lives below the poverty line. Mm. So, you know, all those issues were mentioned and discussed and the crowd were very engaging and uh, passionate, I have to say. Yeah, we, I made reference there to Eamon Ryan um, talking about the, uh, the, uh, the taxation on the multinationals going maybe towards mm. compensating uh, poorer countries where climate change is concerned. I'm just wondering, um, did anything about climate change come up in any of your discussions there? Well, I mentioned climate change, right, in the context of me saying the carbon tax should be scrapped. And what I said about climate change, and I've said this for a long time, is that it must be done in a socially just way. The measures that the government are dishing out with regards to climate change only serve to turn people off climate action. Mm. And it's it's, it's that, of course, we need climate action, but it must be done in a socially just way where it's not hammering people who are struggling. Now, we can't all afford to buy an electric car, retrofit our houses, you know, and as I said, people are paying 45 euros for a bag of coal that can barely afford to eat. So that, that doesn't help the climate movement. It must be done in a just way and it must tax the polluters and go after the corporations that cause most of the damage in the first place. I'm just thinking that about the turnout from the public reps. Do you think some of that might have been because the impression given is that it was a Sinn Féin-led protest, Damien. Do you think that might be part of it? Yeah, well, that's, that's possible. That's possible. But as I explained to you on Friday, like the, the cost of living coalition is made up of over yes. 30 organisations. And, you know, there's independent TDs there as well. Catherine Connolly, Thomas Pringle, they're involved. I think Ivana Batchich, the Labour Party leader, spoke at one around the country. I'm not sure with the Social Democrats, but there were, like, there's plenty of people involved from different organisations. Yes. Trade unions. Uh, students' unions, the Rural Ireland Association is part of the Cast of Living Coalition. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, if people had done a bit of research, elected reps, they would have seen what it was and, and came along. But maybe there was that impression, Fran, but that's not what it was. All right. Um, what's next, Damien? Well, with regards to Nina, um, we may well do one in the new year. Now, I don't know, it might be February, March, April. We, we get some guidance from the Cast of Living Coalition nationally. Uh, there's a raise the roof housing demonstration in Dublin next Saturday that I'll go to and mm. some others will go to as well. Uh, but I'm not sure when the next... This will build, so there will, there will yes. be another one. And I'd like to have another one in Nina because we don't get a chance to protest here very often. Well, I, I have a feeling that this will all come home to roost in January and February, to be honest with you, Damien. You know, yeah. we might struggle yeah. towards Christmas with the cost of mm. living and, you know, maybe borrow money and all of that. But after Christmas, I, I think it's going to hit, really. You know, I, I agree. I agree because people are usually tied after Christmas anyway. Yeah. And, you know, when the, the extra bit of money that people might have gotten before Christmas is gone... I think, yeah, late January, early February will be very, very difficult for people. And that's what we want to highlight. We keep highlighting that, whether it's a protest or not, in any way we can. And maybe I'll even come into you someday and talk about it again. But I, um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that, Fran. Yeah. Right. Did anybody make the point to you that, look, the government have 
Well, they, they've intervened in, in certain ways, you know, whether it's about energy or, um, uh, you know, whether it's about pension or whatever, um, uh, the, the um, children's allowance and all of that. Um, did anybody make that cost that they're doing their best where this is concerned, that well, it's, when, when it's globally when influenced Friday, and all of that? Yeah, yeah, when you were doing Devil's Advocate on Friday, as you do so well, you uh, mentioned that, but you're the only person who mentioned that to me. I mean, nobody else that mentioned there, that, no. The, well, the crowd that were there wouldn't be overly sympathetic to what okay. the government's doing, I have to say. But like I said myself to you on Friday, it's, well, I, I welcome them. I, I welcome all these measures, I really do, but they're temporary, and it will come on to roost January 1st because the 200 euros you get goes away and you're back where you started. So really there's, there's long-term sustainable measures is what's required, and to actively tackle poverty in society and inequality in, in, in a real way, not sort of just putting a plaster over things. You know? oh, all right. Damien, good to talk to you today. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. You too, Fran. Thanks a million. Good, good morning you. to you. And that's Damien O'Donoghue there, a member of the Cost of Living Coalition, and they had their protest last Saturday. Were you there? If so, would you give me an impression of that? 1800-938-007. Now, when it comes to racism and witnessing a racist incident, how many of us can say with certainty that we would intervene in a situation like that? Now, I'm sure we'd all like to think that we would, but when faced with it, how would we respond? Well, Timmy Hammersley was forced with the exact uh, scenario over the weekend, and he joins me online now. Timmy, good morning to you. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on again. You're very welcome, Timmy, and really good to talk to you today. Will you tell me, I I was really taken with your post on this, will you tell me what happened over the weekend, Timmy? Yeah, I suppose the first thing to say is, look, I suppose, in all these things, I'm obviously a regular Twitter user, so I kind of post, and then, you know, I actually did think twice about posts and that one on Saturday, you know, kind of mean people might think, oh, you, you know, you're you're putting yourself out there to be great and so on as well. But that, that's kind of, you know, as kind of, um, that isn't the case. I don't feel with this incident, I just wanted to maybe put it out there. Yeah, that's what I saw. That's what I heard. And that's a real mm. thing that's out there. You know, and it's a real thing that's happening. Well, any, as, anybody as who knows Timmy Hammersley yeah. would not think that in in, in the least. Yeah. Will, will you tell me what happened, Timmy? Um, yeah, I was in, I was at the rugby game in the Aviva Saturday there, and the spar like the nearest, like literally the like the closest spar shop really to the Aviva. We're in Slattery's bar there afterwards, and I just went across to the shop, and. Um, I was just, whatever, just in for a very brief period of time and very shortly after going in, there was two kids of colour, um, probably about 14 or 15 or year old, and they were decked out in Irish gear coming from the game. Mm. And uh, I, I, I didn't know necessarily, I, I didn't know, like, it seemed to be a very small, like, one of the kids like, like, kind of tripped out in front of this older guy, or or something, something very, very small, mm. and that, and I, your man, and he was drunk, and he was there with his friends, and he just started saying, "There's a smell of you," and he kept on saying, it, "You know, the, oh there's, there's a smell around here now, all that stuff, you know," and it just kind of, and said it loud, and then it kind of just walked off, and his friends walked out of the shop, and. Oh, yeah, do you know, I was just mad, just really mad, that kind of that. Do you know, 14 or 15-year-olds there going to the match, like, that's mm. the last thing that they should have to deal with um, from a drunken fella who just obviously thought he could say what he wanted, really. 
you know, so, and in all them split seconds, look, I, I've had, I've heard, and we all have probably heard to a degree as well, those kind of things. Like, but that was over race, and we, there's no question about that, you know. And uh, so you always have that, that split second, haven't you? Will I say something? Will I? Will it just make it worse or what? You know, so just I just didn't want to 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 uh, to uh, I didn't want to um, allow it go. He was getting whatever he was, if you can see the he whatever else he was there. I kind of stood behind him when he was at the tail, and I just <laughs> I just waited for him there. And as soon as he turned around, I just said, "You're not passing me, or you go back and apologize to." those kids that were still at the counter he came from and he kind of eyed me up there for a second or two and he turned around and he went back and apologised and he said uh, he, he can't remember exactly what he said to me but he did and he turned around and I don't look whether it was a half hour apology whether it was an honest one who knows really but I definitely got the sense that the young lads felt a bit better about the scenario oh, after, he, after he went back and said it's about it. Look, I, I think it's always important to remember in this, like I had power in that scenario. You know, I had a lot more power than the young lads had. You know, like yes. they didn't they didn't have any power. There's always a power structure, isn't there, in this scenario, in these scenarios. And that fella with his pals, um, probably drink uh, you know, gave him the self confidence or the, the power, feeling power over someone. I can say this and there's no consequence. And obviously, like, it's no harm to re- to rebalance that in some scenarios, you know. Well, did his pals join in when he was insulting the two boys? No, they didn't. Now, after they were they were kind of in, they were maybe a little bit worried that something would kick off when I confronted him. So they kind of diffused it and got him out of there pretty quickly as well. Do you know what I mean? So in fairness, look, I look, they could have went at me <laughs> as well, as quick as anything probably. Yeah. Do you know, but they... Did it? I kind of got the sense they were a little bit embarrassed, but they didn't do anything about it until it was they didn't have a choice either. If that makes, if that, if that's kind of um, clear, you know, obviously, like, you know, it would have been good if they, if they are the ones that kind of that told him, no, that's not what you should be saying here. Do you know, right, but no, it, it, it took you to do to do so. Um, are, is it getting worse out there, Timmy? I mean, are you seeing incidents like this? Uh, no. I don't like it. As if you you see those over, so for, like it 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 it's long. It's it's a few years that they said they've heard something as over as that. Um, but you know, you saw the incident in in East Wall in yeah. Dublin. Their fan as well. That's yeah. an extreme incident. Obviously, now again, you know. So um, it it is definitely there. You know, and as again referring to that kind of uh, power. I'm going to say to you, you know, or I feel I can, and it's going to make me feel better about myself that I have power over you. So that then, like, I don't know. I can't say how widespread it is. I like, like, it's hard to know. But you know, every indicator, like, you know, by the by, organisations that would be on the ground and so on. Um, like any bit of research done that you find there, like uh, quickly with an with an online search, would indicate that it has increased over the over the last number of years, particularly over COVID. Yes, and then we we have obviously the Ukrainian um, influx into the country here. 
the your previous speaker, Damien, was talking about the uh, cost of li- the cost of li- the cost of heaven and the shortages of accommodation and so on. So all those factors are probably coming together and did lead probably ha- was a contributing factor to the incident in East Wall on Saturday um, as well. And then people are looking for obvious, aren't they, Fran? People are looking for obvious answers at, of course. at times. Of course. You know, I, my life, and look, people have right to be not happy with things, especially if you're struggling. And as that speaker said, what, 20% of the country are struggling. Yeah. So I would see now as a danger that, um, you know, we, we're back to, not to recession kind of time, like, but in any times of trouble, if you look at history in, in anything, like, you know, uh, far-right ideals mm. come from times of struggle. And there is probably, like, you do you do hear an undertone of it, you know, the, the refugees are the fault of our problems now, you know. Can I, well, congratulations to you on calling it out to me because I think it's very important to do that. But, of course, you're a fit fella. You're yeah. an imposing fella. I suppose if, uh, I don't know, if a couch potato like me was in that situation, yeah. I'm not sure, to be honest with you, Timmy, yeah. I, I would do the same thing, you know? Yeah, and that's why, and look, you 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 reference, but you can be sure, look, I'm not saying, but you can be sure that people wouldn't take this at face value. they say, oh, look, he's shown off or whatever, but I really, and I think this is important to say, that I recognise the power that I had in that scenario. Yes. You know, and for those who can, and that's not to say that those who don't or those who can't don't to not feel bad about or to judge yourself because it's, and there will be, and there was a scenario where I didn't feel like, I'm going back a few years now, where I didn't feel like I was going to be safe to do something, but, you know, sure, who knows, you have to take chances sometimes as well, but but going back to the point, no, everyone can't, and everyone shouldn't either. Do you know what I mean? Because who you know, you have to weigh up every every, of course. every scenario, yes. um, every scenario on its own. But I, I I I do think though, as you said, that like those who feel they can, like if we don't, kind of if if if, if we don't do it in those scenarios, like who is going to do it? Do you know, and it is everyday stuff and. You know, for people to recognise, even if I do have these ideas about superiority and that um, based on skin colour and based you're from, even if I have those, <laughs> and obviously people shouldn't, but unfortunately people have, it's still not appropriate, regardless if I'm drunk, to say that. Like, can you imagine how, you know, like, I mean, those young lads, I heard their accents. They're complete Dublin accents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were born here. Yeah. They were foot to head in Irish gear, how Irish do they need to be? Do you know what I mean? What, like, what, what is Irish enough? Do you know what I mean? They're all deep questions. And obviously that fella, I'm guessing now, I'm putting two and two together, but they're never Irish enough going to be, they're never going to be Irish enough for a certain demographic anyway. Do you know? So, and that's kind of, so at least if you get to the stage where it's not acceptable to say those things regardless of where you're alcohol fueled or you aren't, you know? Yeah. Timmy, really good to talk to you today and I'm just looking at the screen here, you're getting many congratulations yeah. indeed for, for, for doing that, but I know that you're not the kind of fellow you're not looking for that, you want to make the point I suppose, the bigger the bigger picture here Timmy. Yeah, and uh, look that, 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 and that's why I said it from the start you know, some people will be cynical about these things as they always are and uh, and look, I, again it, it's maybe it's best that you don't put these things on Twitter at times well because I've often been in scenarios where no, I've decided you 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 don't 
tweet about. But on this scenario, it's probably good to still get it out there to remind people that it is an issue. You know, it's not it's not going away, particularly with the wider societal issues that are are there and just in our own small way, like, God, it will not change the world or it will not tackle racism in any scenario. But even give small encouragement that there is everyday stuff that people can do. And it's not even, even if a friend of yours in a random having a coffee says something untoward like, you know, well, if they're going to be seriously offended by you calling them up, are they your friend? Then, <laughs> you know, are they, are they really a friend? You know what I mean? Like, we should be able to have those. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be afraid to, you know, if we believe something, even in the smallest scenario, is said is wrong. Like, we shouldn't be afraid to say no. That's not an appropriate thing to say. And look, it's all of them small actions over a long period of time add up to, you know, being a more. I suppose, accepting fairer and wider society as well, you know. Timmy, always a pleasure. And you look after yourself. And thank yeah. you for coming on with me, Timmy. Thanks for the call, thank, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Timmy Hammersley there speaking to us about that incident over the weekend. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. Uh, Deputy Marty Brown was on to us uh, pretty much straight away to say, well done to Timmy. We all need to follow his example and call out this carry-on. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry. In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatterysgarage.ie Now, there will be Christmas lights in Clonmel's town centre this year, but they won't be to the same level as previous years. Now, that's according to Sinead Carr, who is manager of Clonmel Borough District. Concern, as you know, has been expressed across the community recently uh, about whether the town centre will be decorated with festive lights this year. And um, the issue was first raised in September by Finn the Girl councillor uh, John Fitzgerald, who joins me now. John, good morning to you. Morning, sir. Good to talk to you today, John. A lot of fear about this, you know, because, I mean, it's so important, particularly for businesses to attract people into the town, and the lights play a part in that. What is the story, John? Yeah, the story is, well, the, the good news is that the catastrophe has been averted because there will be Christmas lights and they will be along what, uh, the lines of the traditional, um, you know, across the streets, crisscrossing across each of the main streets in the town for the whole uh, Christmas period. But they will be done at, uh, in a more economical way. They'll be turned off at different times, won't be turned on maybe as early in the evenings, and energy will be will be saved. But they, up to Friday, there was going to be no Christmas lights at all. There was, a, there, there was going to be a, a much more watered-down version, mm. um, which, which the Borough Council had agreed to do. I had been pressing. I was worried since September that uh, the commercial uh, aspect of Christmas would be affected by virtue of no, you know, proper lighting that you see in all of the provincial towns in Ireland and smaller towns as well. And I thought it would be such a shame if Clan Mel wasn't going to to be able to celebrate Christmas in the style it's become accustomed to. So that that mm-hmm. will now happen, and that's thanks to a, 
a private donation as well as very hard work by the borough council. Yeah, the the authority management though hit out pretty hard at uh, the the traders, saying that it was just a small number of them who organised the provision of uh, the lights, and other people weren't uh, doing their part. But you look, Trafan, it's like everything when you're in, when you put your hand up as a meeting and you take a job, uh, and you're a trader. It's no different that some people took the job back the years to collect off all their other colleagues on different streets. But it doesn't scratch the surface of the cost anymore. It, the sense of changed in relation to the cost of the erection, maintenance, replacement, and energy costs associated with running uh, a Christmas lights from pretty much around now to, to January. So uh, it had actually outgrown the traders. Would you believe that? And and uh, What do you mean by that now, John? In, in, in other words, by virtue of cost, mm. uh, in a town the size of Clanmel, um, the the provision of Christmas lights was bigger than what the traders could muster between them. You know, they were all collecting something like 130 or 40 euros from, you know, their neighbouring shops on the different streets. doesn't do it anymore. It doesn't it doesn't um, wash the face of, of the costs associated with having them there. So I think it should actually be part of the budget framework for the Borough Council year on year, rather than having this conversation every November and October, uh, it should actually be penciled in as part of the budget framework for the Borough Council. Yeah, other towns do it in different ways, John. At least that's my understanding. I mean, I think there's fundraising in some place like Care, possibly, if memory serves Mm. me correct. So other people do it differently. They do. Um, They do, and it's in in Nina and in Thurlis, for instance, it's a a little levy of your rates. It's Mm. part of your rate payment. Um, look, whatever way you do it, it's 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 a question of it has to be uniform. Mm-hmm. And I think the day is gone when you uh, can expect you know one shopkeeper to kind of go around and collect off all the shop and his area, then to join it all up. And the town the size of Clanmel, Clanmel is a big town, spread out, lots of streets from Parnells from the end of Parnell Street to the Upper Irish Town. There's a lot of there's some people there that never meet each other in terms of commercial life. Do you know what I mean? And it's uh, it's a big, big town to, to light. I think it has to be more uniform here. I think it has to be done by the local authority, really. But uh, as far as you're concerned, the town will be lit, but with limitations right. to the amount of time, is it, that the oh, lights no, will, it will shine? Be, no, it won't be too far behind what we've been used to now, as right. it turns out. Um, it won't be, it'll be, I think the workmen will start today, literally today, and yeah. resurrecting all the points of the, you know, the where the where the um, powerpoints are at the various parts of the township, and they'll start getting up on cherry pickers and start erecting um, the lights. So no, I'd say, I I don't think it'll be that much water. What was originally suggested was the watered down version up to Friday, but by Friday, the borough council got word for a few private donations, including one fairly significant one, then their own their own contribution, which isn't it, it's not insignificant, and uh, they have. They have uh, just put in place a plan that will bring it home pretty much similar to what had, we had always expected. So, yeah. you, you alluded to, to rates there. There is speculation, John, that rates for businesses will rise by uh, 7% in the, uh, the budget, which is due to be announced this week at the Council's annual budget meeting. Um, is, there, is there truth to that? Well, Fran, now, you know, as well as I do, I'm going to, I'll be involved in workshops and meetings with my own political group in a gale this week, deciding on how we'll vote in relation to the budget 
which is coming up um, and we'll make a decision as a party and I'm sure... Right. But is, is that out there that there's a possibility? Yeah, I think there is. There is speculation about that. Absolutely. 7%? Yeah, well, no. That's, look, I'll put it to you this way. I'm I'm a ratepayer in Clanmel. I'm the only member of the Borough Council, I think, that is a ratepayer in the town. So my my uh, this is very close to my heart now in terms of, you know, something that has to be... I, I'm, I, you, when you run a business in a town on a street and you pay your rent and pay your overheads and pay your staff and pay your rates and the and they talking about town centres first no it's not going to it's not going to be a 7% increase in rates and 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 I'm not in favour of an increase in rates uh, but will so, there be an increase so, in rates? Do you think? I, I look. I'm not. I, I'm not going to preempt what might happen at the budget meeting next Friday. I, I can't predict that. I haven't a crystal ball. But I, I look. I, I'm working with my colleagues. If you'll forgive me for this week, I mightn't give you a straight answer on this because we are working and we have been meeting and we will be meeting again this week to but, make decide a strategy on this. You know, uh, with so. with your business person's hat on, you. I mean, that would be like a grenade to business. That is Absolutely. Like, I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's uh, in the post-COVID era, there's some great initiatives there in relation to rates if you're a startup. But uh, if you're an existing, um, uh, existing, uh, you know, business owner in, in any of the towns, uh, rates is a big uh, base cost and it's not something I think should be increased this year. Obviously, if there's a call for that kind of an increase, money is needed. Now, if it doesn't come from rates, it's going to have to come from somewhere. Now, I know I'm asking you to speculate, but I mean, it will have to come from somewhere, John, will it? Well, everything, I'm a great believer in, you know, in I'm not in the politics of that uh, we live in cloud cuckoo land in terms of every, the payment for services. And, and, for, uh, and, and, and the manager knows that, and we all, you know, We've always acted responsibly in that regard, and I'll be, I will be acting responsibly. So I will be sitting down with my colleagues this week, coming in a workshop, which is with all our colleagues, with our independents, being you know, of all, all the parties. Mm. But we'll also be having our own in-house one, and uh, we will come up with something sensible that'll, that will, that will uh, make this work in terms of mm. getting every, all the services paid. I'm, I'm just thinking with, with energy increase, I mean huge energy increases, any mm. sort of an increase on a, on a business would be so difficult, you know? Absolutely, and there's, there's always I mean, when you're in business, there's always accidental uh, costs. Year on year, there's things go break and things go out of order and you have to replace different things in your business, whether it be in a shop, fridges, or whether it be in an office, you know, uh, whether it be the air conditioning or, or your computer system, or, you know what I mean? There's always accidental costs associated, so year on year that you have to have a reserve mm-hmm. in, in there to make uh, to make payment on it. Shopkeepers, business people know this, and they know these things, these banana skins are around the corner, and that's why they need to have certainty in relation to their base costs, at mm-hmm. least, because they need to know um, how you know, what, what they have to factor into their own budgets every year before they kick out, open the door again in January. Right. So, but but with, with all of that um, taken into play then, John, I mean, you couldn't possibly support a, a, a rise in rates, could you? <laughs> I, I Look, it would be... It would be I, 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 I'm not going to do it on public radio, but I will... I, I'm, I'm not in favour of an increase in rates, friend. That is the bottom line. I'm not in favour of an increase in rates. And uh, I think that... For me, for for me being a ratepayer, that would be uh, something that I can actually, you know, I can speak from the heart about. I know, I know mm. what it is to rot to keep the doors yeah. open. Keep well, if if you're, I mean, the position you're in, though, if your party decides 
that this should happen. I mean, there could be a whip involved in this. So how would? Yeah, you? well, there could, and I mean, but I'm in a good democratic party, and we we will we will uh, we will make a decision on this among ourselves. Like we'll make the Senegal decision on it in, in a in a few meetings up to the budget up to the budget meeting on Friday, and we'll come up with we'll come up with solutions. We're not we're here to work with management, not to. Mm. Not to just say no to everything. That's not what we do. We, we, I suppose, we sadly, there's precedent because it has happened in uh, other areas. I know in South Dublin, for example, in Cork City Council as well, indeed. Um, I think there was a three and 3.8% hike there. So mm. there's there's precedent for it out there. But uh, oh, there I, as I say, it would cause absolute war, I would imagine. I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not in favour of it. And like, I mean, we'll, I've spoken to some other colleagues that aren't in favour. Look, it, it is something that... Uh, I think uh, management should look at it again, but I am cognizant of the fact that we have to pay for all the services that and the budget that is needed to run Tipperary in the next while. And um, you know, um, I'll I'll be doing the right thing. I hope when mm. I come to help, but we have a job to do, and we have to do it at the end of the day. But mm. rates is not a thing. I think we should temper it. All right, John. Good to talk to you today, and thanks for As your time, ever, John. Frank. Thank, Thank you. you good, good morning Thank to you. you. That's uh, Fine the Gael Councillor John Fitzgerald speaking to us there. 1800-938-007. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, the 2022 World Cup kicked off yesterday, shrouded in accusations of human rights violations and last-minute controversies uh, surrounding the host nation, Qatar. Now, a million supporters from around the world will descend on the nation to watch stars from 32 countries face off over the next four weeks in the soccer tournament. Friday's uh, news that alcohol sales... Uh, would be banned uh, from the stadium perimeters, highlighted uh, the cultural class, uh, clash even of the Conservative uh, Emirates hosting a global party. And joining me now from Qatar is Chris McKenna, sports journalist for the Daily Star. Chris, good morning to you. Morning, how are we doing? I'm very well indeed and uh, good to talk to you today. Right across our newspapers today there's a uh, much um, commentary on uh, the um, losing of that game by Qatar to Ecuador uh, yesterday and uh, people making the point that you can pay for everything, you can buy everything, but you can't buy a victory, I suppose. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I think people were getting worried when the the, the early VAR decision, it seemed, um, it seemed a bit dodgy initially, but then when the Further replays were shown it was actually offside, but uh, a lot of accusations were thrown around quite early on. But now, as it turns out, yeah, you can pay to bring the World Cup here and you can pay for some positivity around it, but you can't pay for, for football results on the pitch. What is the atmosphere like there, Chris? I mean, does it have World Cup fever happening around? No, it, it's, it's very strange. It's, it's different to any kind of previous major tournaments because. As you mentioned about the alcohol and the culture clashes, it's a very different country, and um, it's not really like central hubs that you would have in other in major cities across, say, Europe, and that where you would have big squares where fans would congregate and they would be spilling out from the bars and cafes onto the the streets and and stuff. So it's a different kind of atmosphere. There are fans gathering in what they call the souks over here, which are 
these old style kind of marketplaces um, where they've got restaurants and, and stuff, but they're all dry, obviously, restaurants. So, again, even that's a different, different atmosphere. And it's not, you're not having the mass like five, 10,000 people gathering in one kind of spot and building that atmosphere. Um, I wasn't at the game myself last night, so I can't comment on what that was like, but obviously, we've seen the TV pictures and um, a lot of people left the stadium um, yes. during the game now. Some people think, oh, well, that's just down to Qatar losing, but it's actually quite a common thing that happens here for major events when they do host them, is that some people go just to be at an event, but they don't have, actually have huge interest in it, so they can get bored and they can leave, and I think that's what happened to, to some of those fans last night. So things are like that are going to be very different, and then the atmospheres in the stadium are going to be very different as well. There was also reports last night uh, after the game that it was chaotic from a traffic point of view because there were some difficulties with the underground. That's my understanding, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that was a problem uh, kind of you feared at the end of the week. The underground has been so quiet all week. Um, been here since um, Tuesday we got here. Um, and it's been so quiet, but it's not used to dealing with thousands and thousands of people because not that, not as so many people, certainly the locals, use it. They, they drive a lot more. That's the kind of the way it's a, quite a new underground system. So there was fears, will this be able to hold the amount of fans? And I think they had to start advising people um in, in, since since yesterday, he started advising people if you can drive to the grounds to to do so, um, which is an obviously great environmental advice, but it's not a big biggest concern over here. But yeah, things like that are going to be a worry as the kind of tournament progresses and it gets busier and busier in Doha. And this is one of the challenges of hosting a World Cup all in one city. It's a huge, vast city, but as you've seen, obviously previous World Cups they're hosted across a whole country, so there's. People are a lot more spread out, but this is the difference here. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that transfer t- transport system holds up, really. What's going to happen where, because we're hearing about certain teams that might take the knee, we're hearing about captains that might, well, uh, wear armbands suggesting their support for LGBTQ and all of that. What What are you hearing about that, Chris? Yeah, so this is a major kind of story, and it was kind of bubbling up yesterday, Um I did the England press conference with Harry Kane and Gareth Southgate, and um, they were adamant that they would continue to wear it, but um, the problem is the FA have been left in the dark. They don't know what the actual punishment will be, um, and that's a major problem. Um, as of the, in the last hour, unless that has changed, to come on to you guys, guys, that there was no decision yet made on England whether they would wear it or not. They want clarity from FIFA is what's going to happen if we wear it. Um, they're happy to take a fine, and there's no problem with that. But I think there is concern about sporting sanctions and talk that Kane could get booked for wearing it as the captain. And obviously, you don't want your talisman, your leader, your striker, your captain straight away on a yellow card. Um, so that would be a problem for them. It's just come out, I think, in the last few minutes that Holland are going to backtrack and they're not going to wear it. So whether that makes a difference to England's decision, um, we don't know. The problem for England is they're the first of the... European nations that have agreed to wear this one little armband playing. So they're kind of, I suppose, the guinea pigs. Um, so it's a big decision for them to make, and we should obviously find out in the next few minutes whether they're going to do it or not. And it would be terrible for, by FIFA, though, to force them into not wearing it. Um, I don't think it's enough by England to kind of do this, but it's something at least. And if FIFA blocked them from basically putting out something just to help people. It's a basic human right that you should be able to choose whatever lifestyle you want to live in. 
all that England are trying to do is support that. But if they can't do it, then um, it's going to be a terrible look for FIFA. Speaking of FIFA, that rather bizarre hour-long monologue from Gianni Infantino as well. What, what is being made of that? Because it was such a rambling, very strange address, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was awful. Um, I don't know. I don't. If he was advised to say those things, I don't know. If if he was, he needs the person who advised him really. Um, really needs to have a look at it because it was just. It was quite insane, really, to come out with some of those things and to attack people and call them hypocrites when yeah. we're when we're here in Qatar and what's gone on to, to bring the World Cup here is just outrageous. Um, going on the attack um, was a terrible a PR approach and it, it's obviously backfired massively on it. And the ban on drinking in the perimeter of the stadium, how is that going down out there? Um, yeah, some fans are obviously getting a bit annoyed with it. I spoke to some Brazilians the other day and they were they were saying, yeah, terrible, terrible. Um, and yeah, it's not gone down well. There is places to get alcohol, but it's not it's not easy. It's not readily available. Uh, you can still drink it in the fan parks. You can find bars and in the hotels to drink it. Um, but just even to be able to, because the, the stadiums are a lot of them are in the middle of nowhere, so you've got to really like you're out way out. So people were hoping that they could get out to a stadium on the transport and and have a beer or two before they go in and watch the match. And I think that that annoyed a lot of people. And as somebody pointed out, it was like. If you had told us this beforehand, before people booked travel, bought tickets, etc., it would have been an inconvenience. It wouldn't have been great, but at least people would then have a decision to make. The fact that people had plans in place, paid a lot of money, and now it's a little thing that just takes away a little bit of enjoyment of it. We obviously don't want ugly scenes where people have too much and there's violence at football, but people having a respectable couple of points just to get himself warmed up and loosened up to get in the stadium and sing a few songs, that should really be able to happen. And to backtrack on that again was another poor decision by FIFA. As a sports journalist yourself, it must be a pain in the ass at this point. I mean, most of our conversation today has little to do with football, which is which is such a shame. So let's talk about football now. That England-Iran game, is that is that on currently? Uh, England Iran is is on today. Um, it's uh, on at one o'clock your time. So um, I'll be just heading off there now. So that'll be the kind of yeah the first big European nation playing and um, yeah. So we hopefully the transport system holds up. It should be quite easy to get there at the Khalifa Stadium, which I actually was at in 2019 because Liverpool played here in the Club World Cup. Um, so it's quite accessible to get to. So hopefully it's all straightforward and we can get there and. Yeah, and uh, that maybe their football can do the talking a bit now as well. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, a lot of Welsh fans, I believe, out there, and uh, there's great romance, I suppose, about uh, Wales being there in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I've seen a few knocking around. Um, <laughs> they've been down uh, having a wander around, more so than English fans, maybe. But um, I think some some fans are, are staying in Dubai and stuff and flying in and out on the game because. There's, I think it's 120 flights a day from Dubai to Doha, so it's quite easy to get in and out of here. Um, so I think some of that's happening. But yeah, Wales, 60 years since the World Cup, Gareth Bale, um, the talisman. So it's going to be quite a story, and they've got a great game tonight against um, America. So they'll be hoping that they can get out of the group. They've got a great chance. Um, obviously, England favourites to, to top the group, but um, if Wales can get a result against America tonight, 
then it puts them in a really, really strong position. It's very interesting. So call call it for me, Chris. I, I, you must be bored at this point with people asking you to do that. But who's going to win? <laughs> I put, if I had to put my money on it, it would be Brazil, I think. I just fancy them. They've got some amount of amazing t- attack and talent. They're a bit young, so that might come under. They might feel the pressure a bit, and that might make them run stuck. But it'd be great to see a Messi or somebody win one for Argentina. But I think it's going to be Brazil if I had to put, put a few quid on it. All right, Chris, we really appreciate your time and look after yourself out there. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you. No, good, no good morning to you, Chris. That's Chris McKenna there, who's a sports journalist for the Daily Star, speaking to us from Qatar this morning. 1800-938-007. News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Matt. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. We'll be playing Match 3 after 11 o'clock uh, this morning. So if you want to get involved in Match 3 in association with Stakelums, all you have to do is um, log your name and your details with us and put Match 3, first of all, 083-311-3311. And marie says, racism has no place in our society. I personally dealt with racism for a number of years due to my son being of mixed race. It was horrific and it went on for over seven years. I would do the same. I would stand up and speak out. Also, well done to that man for speaking out. And that's referring to um, uh, Timmy Hammersley, who spoke to me about this uh, earlier on in the programme. And uh, speaking of that, let me just bring you another one, uh, if I can find it here at all. Um, Okay, I can't for the moment, but I will bring it to you a little bit later on. Now, sales and bargains can be exciting because Black Friday is approaching us this week and other online holiday sales uh, kick off the holiday shopping season. Now, finding the right gift for your friends or loved ones, it may be exciting, but sometimes with the expense of certain gifts and food for the table and the pressure of shopping and the expectations of the season, it can make Christmas a very uh, stressful and very expensive time. We're joined now by one of our great friends, Joe Noble. Joe, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well, Joe, and you're very welcome back to the programme, and I'm delighted to chat to you today. Um, a lot of people will find it difficult this year, but I, I guess it's no different to other years as well, because Christmas is expensive, Joe, isn't it? Indeed it is. I don't find it any different. I mean, look at whatever you can afford, you 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 can spend. Do you know what I mean? You don't go over... Well, I don't go overboard anyway. Mm. Um, I, I love Christmas, don't get me wrong. I do. I love it. Um, but no, the day of getting big presents and what have you, that's gone. And is there pressure on somebody like yourself, Joe, you know, to come up with the goods all of the time where children and grandchildren are concerned and all of that? <laughs> pressure on me, no. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Joe, no. That's the thought. I spend what I can spend and yes. I make damn sure I have enough for bills after in the new year and so forth, etc. I think they're more important. Yeah, and from talking to other people, do they feel pressurised? 
Uh, they do, some do. I mean, it depends on how many kind of in the family you have as well. Like, do you know mm. what I mean? But a lot of people are doing that Chris Kendall thingy, whatever you call God, it. God, I hate that, Joe. Yes, yeah, so would I. Yeah. I wouldn't like that either, yeah. to be honest. Um, but, you know, maybe if it saves them money that you only get a present for one in a family, whatever, I don't know. Mm. I never done it, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but no, you kind of, you, you have to cut back and you have to... Um, you have to be responsible, really, and, and realistic. Yeah, and you have to cut uh, cloth according to measures. I, I really dread for the people who have to borrow around Christmas time because, oh, they, you know, that's terrible. Fran, I done it years ago. Did when you, Joe? Lads, I yeah. did. When the lads were small, I had no choice. Um, mm. And I did, and I'd spend a whole year paying it back. And then when I'd have the last thing paid, it was due to start off all over oh, again. Oh, God. Yeah. And I did do that. So, yes, I do feel sorry for people that um, have to go to that extreme. Yeah. You know, I mean, my lads got nothing. They never got a huge amount. But nevertheless, I, I literally didn't have it yeah. back then. Do you know what I mean? So, kind of, I had no choice, only to borrow. But it's not a good idea, believe it's, you me. It is not a good idea because, no. as you say, you spend the year paying it back. And one thing, of course you do. When you re- remember back, Joe, as, as a child yourself, um, what what... Did Christmas presents entail? I mean, one. Oh, jeez, friend, I love the church. <laughs> hey, come here. I don't get a Christmas present. That'd be the one present I get in the year because my birthday is too near Christmas. So I never got birthday presents. Oh, God, you both. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> so I just really look forward to Christmas. And God knows I remember one year. Asher, poor old mammy, the creator, shouldn't have it either. Yeah. But I remember one year waking up and I had this little card. And inside in this card joke was a dainty, weenty little doll's pram. Oh, God bless the market you blinked your miss it. And <laughs> there was a little doll and a little blanket and I spent all Christmas Day just holding the thing, the handle with two fingers and running it up and down the kitchen table. Oh, God, but that was the present. And I loved it, yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, one year, my, my sister, God be good for she was gone past Santa type of thing. And she was older than me. <laughs> and anyway, I got up and I saw this. There was a rag doll. Oh, holy Moses, by I couldn't believe it. I got a rag doll and a box of sweets. But there was two boxes of sweets. And I grabbed the two. <laughs> <laughs> I and I remember Mammy saying, what are you doing with the two of them? One of them is Anna's. Oh, Jacobs, I was fierce disappointed. I thought Santa left me two boxes of sweets. <laughs> but isn't it amazing how memorable that is to you, the rag oh, doll yes. for, for Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the rag doll. And I remember my very last Christmas. Sure, I was 13 when I was still believing in Santa. Like, and I, I thought Mammy was very cruel when she told me there was no uh, Well, we, we don't want to say that because, of course, there is a Santa out there and it's very oh, important. Oh, oh, sorry, that, yes. me, Cobb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course there is. Of course oh, there, there is. Indeed, like, yes. you know, that's, you know. But, but, but tell me about that. You were, you, 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 I mean, it was so important to you that you were very disappointed as you grew up, I suppose. Is oh, that I it, was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because yeah. she took me doll off of me and gave it to a young one that didn't have it. And, oh, and, and I was, was visiting the house on Boxing Day and I met me at the head of me doll in the, in the, in the pathway going up to the front door. Oh God Almighty! <laughs> oh, I cried over that well, doll. T- tell me about that, Joe. She she took the doll because somebody else was yeah. deserving of it. Was uh, that yeah, it? a relation of uh, oh, our sister, and um, the the mother was old Conan because she hadn't, you know, whatever. And um, Mammy, I remember her saying, "Are you are you too big for that?" So 
I could feed up my doll and I wouldn't mind only had, this doll had hair I could brush it second <laughs> hand like but anyway Lord. but <laughs> no, we never got much friend like do you know what I mean? I mean Santi was poor back then. Yeah, I remember poor. my my father told me one time in his stocking he got a sod of turf, which oh, they lived geez. near the bog there in Ballybeg near, near yeah, Littleton. That's and, right. and an orange. An orange, yeah, I imagine. That was that was a big thing back then, wasn't it, friend? A lot of people that's all they get is yeah. a, or a lump of coal. But well, seemingly it was so novel to get an orange that yeah, you know. it was because again, like like children nowadays and fair play to them like they get everything, but um it's not to me it wouldn't be Christmas anymore because every time they go into town or go off someplace they're getting something. I know. Whereas years ago I mean, if I can talk only for myself, we'll say I never got anything during the year, ever. I mean, it was so good even to get to Christmas dinner because we never had big dinners like that. My aunt, oh God, I remember um, Christmas Eve. Um, my aunt, your spring, sent down her son in the tractor and trailer. They had a farm uh, out in Mayan. And uh, she sent him down to a big load of stuff. Oh, holy Moses, I love it. And she was fattening a goose, and I'd sit with Mammy plucking this goose, and I loved it in front of a big open fire. It oh, was lovely. Oh, my God. Isn't, yeah. isn't it great? Do you know, people have little or no connection with it. I mean, again, my father told me, I mean, he, he loved to eat at night all his life, and he always said the reason being that he was hungry as a child going to bed, and he didn't want yeah. to have that feeling anymore. Yeah. That is true. Oh, that's very true. Very true, uh, Frank. We, we can't imagine that now, really. So. No, well, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking can. Well, I'm not older than you. I can <laughs> remember it only too well, I can. Yeah, that you, you <laughs> would have been hungry some of the time. Oh, yes, 100%. I remember a woman giving me hairy mouldy bread one time to take home to the dog, <laughs> and I was coming up the road, and I was picking off the hairy mouldy bits and trying to eat a bit of bread. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's true. There were hard times. But then again, we weren't an isolated case. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Everybody was in the same boat. So, you know, it was fine. And the one thing was, everyone looked out, the neighbours. They all looked out for each other. Like, when one woman up the road would say um, she'd get her money before Mammy would say, and, you know, she'd bring in a sliced pan, maybe, mm. or a bit of bread yes. uh, into, into Mammy. Um, then Mammy would get hers, and she'd give her something. There were more... People, I think people were more caring. Were they? Yes, 100% was hard times, but they were very, very caring. Yeah, and you know, and still you speak about the joy of certain things, but they were they were smaller things. They were more. They were small things that made us happy. But you see, nowadays, um, as far as I can see, with grandchildren and that was, um, they they want all those big things: mobile phones, laptops, iPods, yokes, things like that. (laughs) Do you know? Do you know what that? I mean, they were never heard tell of when I was growing up. But they want all these expensive things. And as much as I love the Thai show. Um, I think it also puts pressure because children are all staying up, obviously, see the Thai show and they want this, they want that, they want Santi to bring them A, B and C. You know, kind of, kids are expensive little items nowadays. Indeed they are. I mean, and don't talk to me about when it gets to college. That's that's a whole oh, other, other thing as well. God. Yeah, And again, those <laughs> expectations, Joe, I mean, we never yeah. had those expectations that you'd automatically be going to college. I mean, that's, that's a relatively recent thing, isn't it? He did tease. I only done primary school. I didn't even finish sixth class, for God's sake. My mother had me out working at 13 years of age um, because she needed it. But, um, you know... At 13, Joe? 
30 and I was out, yeah. She took me out of school in fifth, out of fifth class, I remember. And um, she put me out. Well, she had to. Daddy yeah. was all kind of sick. Do you know what I mean? And she needed money. As simple as that. And God knows I was only getting £1.50. And what was the job, Joe? A week. Minding children in, in a house, in the, in the children's house, we'll say, and right. cooking for them and cleaning and scrubbing floors and everything. everything literally all housework and everything. My God. At 13? Yeah. At 13, and I used to have to walk from uh, Liskevian, um over almost near Torless. I won't say the place just in case. Yeah. Um, almost near um, Torless. I, had, I used to have to walk in frost. No, it made no difference. I remember going along the side of the ditch in case I'd end up on my hindquarters with the frost and down the road and the snow. And I'd go in and my first port of call was I used to have to wash shitty napkins out of, there were cloth napkins, right. out of a, a bucket of ice cold water. I'd have to rinse them That off was your before. first job That was the do. first job, yeah. My yeah. God, how how long of a walk was that, by the way? Jenny, God, from Iskabeen to nearly Tornless. Ten uh, miles, is it? That to be near as damn it, I suppose. Yeah. I would there and then another back home. God almighty. Um, I eventually got a high nearly by. Did you? Was, I did, and that was great. After about a year of walking, I got a high nearly by. <laughs> so that was that was very posh at that time. Oh, was that it? was very posh. Oh, Lord, I felt sure a million dollars on my high nearly bike. Um, I left there then when I got an, old enough, I was able to leave and go into the textile. And I loved that. Into the factory, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Loved that. But um, no, it, like things, as I say, Fran, were hard. But I look back on it and I think we actually had more fun and we enjoyed life even more hard than all the Do you think so, Joe? I do, I do. I think nowadays everyone is out for what they can, you know, they want this. They want, want, want. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And they never, no matter what they get, they haven't enough. Whereas even yeah. today, I, I, you know, can manage on little. And I'm not one for fancy items or different gadgets or whatever once whatever I have was working that does me the finest yeah. you know it's just, I think it's the way I was brought up really yeah you but know? I mean you learned a lot of lessons I guess very early on in time Joe. oh by god I had to grow up quick yeah. as simple as that yeah absolutely oh absolutely but um, look at I, I mean I thought it was hard but looking back on I suppose it was hard but Era didn't do me any harm either. Maybe maybe that's why I have a wonky... Well, I shouldn't have a wonky heap with all the walking I was doing. <laughs> and the high nelly as well. Yeah. And the high nelly, exactly, yeah. exactly. I think a lot of it, though, Joe, and I think I made this point last week, is that we tried to do for our kids what we didn't have ourselves, and I'm not yes. sure that that was a good idea. It's not a good idea. No, yeah. it's not. Um, I, I had that... I was in that frame of mind for a long time. But I wasn't long copying myself on and thinking, well, look at it. I can only give what I can afford to give. I can only do what I'm able to do. Yeah. You know, and I had to. And like my lads, now in fairness, they were good and still are. I mean, they all understood. Yeah. Like, you know, mother don't, you know, have whatever. So, you know, but um, yeah. it, it, you do feel that you want, of course, you want to have your children better off than you were. You know, that's only a natural and normal thing to... Of, of course, but you see, you, you know, have to temper that with uh, giving oh, yeah. them some sort of resilience that they're able to do stuff for themselves in, as well. Oh, 
hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, I remember poor old Steve, and he used to be middle lad, would say, mm. and he go down to school, and he come back up from the primary school in Littleton. He throw his school bag into the Jason's hall, and he trip and break my neck over it. But <laughs> and he'd be gone down to Hughes's for to help feed the calves and do all that. And he done, do you know? And he was only a young lad, but he loved it. And he wasn't made go down or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. But uh, he done it because he loved it. And he used to actually do nearly a man's work at a very, very young age down there. Isn't that you fantastic? Know? Yeah. Isn't and he loved it. And he'd go out and he'd pick stones in farmers' fields and he'd pick potatoes and he'd pick... Do you know? And Billy done as well, the eldest lad. He done it as well. Not... They were never, ever told to go out and, and do it, but they'd done it for get a bit of pocket money. Well, fair play to you them, know. and it's great to hear that as well. I met you recently up in uh, Templemore. You were looking fantastic, Joe. Uh, how, how, how's the health with you? Oh, uh, Jesus Christ, friend. I totally enjoyed the night. It was a fantastic night, uh, but ha- am I paying for it since? <laughs> with, with the I, pain uh, of the yeah. dancing, is it? Oh, yeah. you poor dog. I was grand on Tuesday, on the Tuesday, and I, I was blowing me trumpet too much. I go, oh, I'm fine. Look at me, like, you know, I'm yes. out walking again. Great fucking hell. Wednesday morning, Jesus, Mary, and Holy said, Oliver, I couldn't go to Jesus' bed. Oh, stop making me laugh. I'm so sorry to hear it. And I don't mean to laugh at you. But, but it's um, true. I'll tell you some friend, if you had to see me Wednesday morning, you'd say I was about 100. Right, Easy. so the, the glamorous lady I met on Monday night wasn't wasn't oh, there on Wednesday morning, no? She turned into a very quick until much. And it's, no, is it the it hip, uh, Joe? It's the hip, is it? It's my, yeah, both hips. Both one hips. is worse than the other. And uh, it was, you see, I didn't want to go out and do a quick step, right? Because yes. I thought the turden will get me. Yes. be too fast. Yes. But this man came up and Lord, he was a lovely man and he knew me uncle and all. Yes. And um, <laughs> I said, oh, I have a wonky hip. I said, I don't know whether I'll be able to do that or not. Eric, come on, he said, I'll take it handy with you. <laughs> oh, holy Jesus. he done a, a, a turden on one stage. Well, by God, did I get a pain. <laughs> and, and of course, I'm, I'm kind of a bit stubborn, friend. I wouldn't give in. So I kept going. <laughs> but I loved it and I'll tell you, any pain or ache I have since, it was worth it. All right, well, I'm it delighted was a brilliant to hear that. night. I'm delighted to hear that. So are you looking forward to Christmas then, Joe? Are oh, you... gee, because I love it. Yeah. Oh, God, I yeah. am. Oh, Lord, I am. I'm really looking forward to it. I love it. The only thing, the only problem, I think I've developed, um, what do you call that thing that you don't like dust anywhere or Oh, uh, is it ADHD or something like that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's when people are kind of real high. Oh, is it? Right. Um, okay. No, no, this is a different OCD. OCD, I OCD. beg your pardon. What yeah. am I thinking? Yes. I know, exactly. But anyway, um, you see, I hope I love putting up the decorations. I love doing the tree. I love doing all that. But then come, say, the day after Boxing Day, I'm looking at dust. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, shite. Um, how am I going to get around all these yokes now to clean? So by the end of the week, they're all gone again. Right. Because I had to clean the house. So you get rid of them straight away? Yeah, I get rid of them that week, did I do fail. Yeah. Um, once Christmas is over, to me, that's it. What, what do I want all them things gathered and dust hanging around the place after? But I love them, don't get me wrong. And I love looking at people's um, Christmas trees through the window. I do a lot of Christmas, especially at, in the evening time, looking at people's Christmas yeah. trees in through their windows. Um, but no, I love it. I do love it. I love all the lights and the streets. I, I love the carol singing. I just love all that. Isn't that great? Yeah, but you, yeah. but it doesn't last for long as far as you're concerned. Once it's done, it's done. And, and yeah, now in my house, you see, because I can't handle dust. <laughs> so <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you a bit of a freak about, about dust and cleanliness and all of that? I, I would 
shouldn't be over the top like, but I just don't like, um, you know, I'd be sitting down a cobweb, for instance, would catch me eye and I think, oh, shite. So I'd have to get up and knock that down. Or, um, you know, I'd be looking across at the mantelpiece because I have a stove. Vic Eamon Ryan now and he's, and he's turf and everything. I have my stove and I'm burning. But yeah. when I'm emptying the ashes, of course, you know the way ashes kind of go up I and do. come oh, and lodge Lord, back down. Know, yeah. So I'd be sitting down, I think my house would grand and clean and the next night I'd look across at the mantelpiece and I'd think, oh, holy God, if anyone came in to think that one never cleaned the house. So <laughs> I'd have to get up and dust the mantelpiece or anything left thrown around. I'd have to pick it up. Would you? Yeah. And put it away. Yeah, I think, yeah. no, it's There's that, a touch that of OCD about it all, right, Joe, I think. I think, yeah, but I only developed that now, Leage. Do you know what I think it is? I have too what much time on my hands. <laughs> That's what it is. But, but you're definitely, you're burning turf, are you? Chuck it down, I'm burning turf. Right. And steaks. And, 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 and what about climate change, Joe? No, climate change. Well, I tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> you look up in the sky and look at them bloody aeroplanes, there's more shit and muck coming out of them things than the air coming out of my chimney. <laughs> So, take that now and, and climate change. And, and woe betide anyone that come to me door for anything to get half of an hour coal and fire it. Yeah. No, well, I, sm- I burn the smokeless coal now. I'm a little right. bit here. And it's written on the Jesus bag <laughs> um, under regulation, government regulation, something or other. I can burn it. <laughs> And I'll keep one of them bags to prove it. All right. Well, I won't. I won't tell on you to Eamon Ryan then, Joe. I'll. I'll, I'll care less. I tell him he said straight <laughs> with me. That's the way I saw the baker. Joe, you uh, look after yourself, won't you? And it's I always do. such a pleasure to talk to you. And thank and you so you much. And you too, friend. Thanks, you Joe. too. Take Thanks. care. Take care okay. of yourself. Bye bye, Joe. Bye bye, you know. That's uh, Joe Noble, hugely, hugely popular contributor to the programme. It's lovely to uh, hear her back on air. Again, 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 1800 The text and WhatsApp is 83 Lots coming in about Joe, as you can imagine. Joe was brilliant, it says here. What about herself and Johnny Luby for a laugh? Now, there would be something to, uh, to contemplate indeed. Uh, Fran, when you had nothing, you didn't expect anything. You were glad to get anything at all. And that's uh, making reference to my chat there with uh, Joe and lots of people congratulating her and saying that she brightens up one day and all of that and so say all of us. Now it's time for our weekly global politics segment. Glad to be joined in the studio as usual by politics and economics student Thomas Conway. Good morning to you Thomas. Good morning Fran. Uh, good to see you um, uh, today. Uh, Brexit, Northern Ireland uh, and update I suppose in some ways. The current state of, of play and of course news this morning as well Thomas. Yeah it hasn't gone away you no. know and it's not that long ago since Brexit was utterly dominating the news agenda. We had all the furore around the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, sort of faded from view somewhat in in recent years, in the past couple of months, but it has re-emerged. You're absolutely right. The Northern Ireland Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, announcing this morning that he would defer 
uh, the elections until probably in an attempt to reconvene the Stormont Assembly to uh, to put a little bit of pressure on the politicians up there. But we've had an interesting course of events over the past couple of weeks. The week before last, we had UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He had his first official meeting with Antishok Michal Martin at the British-Irish Ministerial Council. Now, that's a kind of a cooperative institution established yes. by the Good Friday Agreement. And we can't forget... Sunak is a committed Brexiteer. He has championed the benefits of Brexit, but he does seem open to compromise. And the sentiment from that meeting seemed fairly positive on both counts, from both Michal's perspective and from Sunak's perspective. But I think the best thing to do is to recall what the Northern Ireland Protocol actually is. Yeah, well, you do, because I always believe, Thomas, there's confusion over over that. What what exactly is There it? is, and, and it's understandable, because yes. it's quite complex. So, look, the Northern Ireland Protocol, it's the component of the post-Brexit trade deal, which was designed to preserve a frictionless border on the island of Ireland. So, designed to avoid a hard border. And what it does is, it keeps... Northern Ireland inside the European single market, the EU single market. So it must still enforce certain checks on goods coming into Northern Ireland. That's where the issue arises with, we hear about this border in the Irish Sea. Yes. So, like, in essence, the Northern Ireland is still technically part of the European Union from a regulatory perspective. But, of course, on a broader level, it's not. It's part of the UK. And that has really infuriated unionists in the mm. north. Read a terrific piece by Vincent Carney, RT's Northern editor, this morning, looking at loyalists and their attitudes towards the Northern Ireland Protocol. And it is creating a fair bit of angst in that community. And a lot of us here can't understand that because it appears that they have the best of both worlds. They still have a foot in the European camp and obviously they have a foot in in, uh, UK and Brexit. It certainly does, but I suppose the fear amongst unionists is that there is a detachment from the United Kingdom as a whole. And that, I suppose, you know, that goes to the heart of unionism. Uh, Obviously, you know, they feel they're part of the UK and Northern Ireland is part of the UK. But I think it it, uh, is related to, I think, growing concerns and maybe demographic shifts in the North, electoral shifts as well. If we look back to May and the Assembly election, Sinn Féin becoming the largest party with 29% of the vote, 27 seats. They eclipsed the DUP, who, who, who got 25 seats. Now, it was the Alliance Party who really made waves, who were, who were the big headline grabbers so after that's that. that's the centrist. That's uh, the centrist there, party. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, that is probably refreshing from an ordinary Irish perspective because we see kind of a new brand of politics emerging, new attitudes emerging amongst young people. But we have to remember, all this is after against the backdrop of kind of shifting demographics in the North. So if we look at the census figures, I was going through them, last year's census, census 2021, Catholics now outnumber Protestants in Northern Ireland. Now by a narrow margin, 45.7% to 43.4%. So it is quite slim. But you do have a large proportion of young people, 18 to 24 year olds, a total of 15%, sorry, 57% of them, who say they favour a united Ireland, which I think is very interesting. Right, but the overall stat for favouring a united Ireland in the north is what? No, it, it is. It, there is still a unionist majority. So 41% of the population would vote yes to the prospect of a united Ireland, 48% would opt to remain in the UK. 
quite interesting as well as an add-on to that what the attitude in the Republic is yes. because the Irish Times had a poll last year 62% say they would favour a united Ireland but 79% say that they would not be willing to make financial sacrifices for it so right. That's in other wanting words wanting your cake and eating it yeah it? yeah they, they would favour it in theory but not yes. necessarily in practice mm. but I suppose looking at this broader picture like it all emanated from Brexit from yes. the 2016 referendum and we've had numerous statistics numerous high profile public figures Mark Kearney the former governor of the Bank of England recently expressed the view that Brexit has essentially compounded the cost of living crisis in the UK. It's compounded many of their mm. economic woes. No, that's not accepted from the Tories. No, it yeah. certainly isn't. Yeah. And I suppose you had a faction of hardline Brexiteers within the Tory party. Interesting to see some of those formerly hardline Brexiteers, the likes of Steve Baker, the MP who now has a role in Northern Ireland, has perhaps softened his approach. So maybe there is an understanding now that in order for the UK to thrive and to to overcome the economic obstacles it faces, it needs a coherent post-Brexit trade agreement with the EU. And at the moment, the Northern Ireland is the main issue, the Northern Ireland Protocol, rather, is the main issue getting in the way of that. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it, uh, as time rolls by where this is concerned. Do you think, by the way, do you think they'll be back in Stormont uh, or, or will there be an election? Well, I think there is increasing pressure on them and we have to... But the we, DUP don't do pressure, you know. They seem to trundle on their own way. They, they certainly don't, but I suppose they will be wary of the fact that another election in Northern Ireland is likely to yield a very similar outcome. Yeah. And we're likely to see the same results, if not a you know, a greater surge in support for, for Sinn Féin and the Alliance. So Geoffrey Donaldson will be acutely aware of that yes. uh, when he plans his next move. Is there any way that that veto or whatever you want to call it can be taken away that a party can actually stall Stormont? Well, I think that goes to the heart of the Good Friday Agreement yes. and, and some of the agreements. And maybe, you know, the question has to be asked. Obviously, you know, it was a fantastic agreement in the sense that it preserved peace. But it failed to foresee things such as Brexit. As this, yeah. so, but I, t I thought it interesting to see that uh, Michelle O'Neill even didn't want to get rid of that because, of course, they, they brought down Stormont themselves. Yeah, they? certainly. And, and she too will be cautious in terms, of, in terms of her approach because one thing we do forget about Northern Ireland, it is power-sharing uh, executive. And in fairness, the parties, all right, they've broken down on several occasions, but when they have to, they have worked with one another over mm. the past 20 or so years. Yes, which is remarkable. Which is remarkable yeah. given the dynamics of politics in the North. Absolutely. Let us move to uh, Ukraine and uh, the war there. And I suppose here's the big question you're posing it yourself on what terms could the fighting stop? And what what terms could bring the fighting to an end? Though? Yeah, I've read a couple of interesting analytical pieces on this, you know, postulating or quietly suggesting, will Ukraine become maybe something like post-World War II Finland. So Just forced, explain that to us. How, yeah, how would so that it would be up? forced to kind of cede a certain amount of its territory and remain neutral for the coming decades. Another, another theory is, might it resemble something closer to West Germany? Its national territory kind of partitioned by war and its democratic half absorbed into, into NATO like, like West Germany was. Now, it should, be, it should be noted, it should be acknowledged that all Western politicians and, of course, President Vladimir Zelensky in Ukraine have been both unequivocal and unambiguous in saying that Ukraine, all of Ukraine's sovereign territory 
must be uh, must be restored. And I would kind of share that view myself when you look at it, because, I mean, what message does it send out if you allow Vladimir Putin to just step in and take a, a swathe of territory for himself? But, of course, it is very difficult in practice. And, like, the precise terms of any negotiated settlement here will be d- dictated to a large degree by what happens on the battlefield. Of course. And what about the losses so far, Thomas? I mean, what, what Yeah, so what there are, are various estimates. I mean, some say 100,000 soldiers on each side. Some, some estimate that it's more than that. Some estimate slightly, yes. But Ukraine, I suppose, has the upward momentum. Obviously, it recaptured the city of Kherson in the past week. It has also maintained support from its allies. So in November 4th, the Pentagon announced a major new arms package, $400 million in military aid, and that that included weaponry, new tanks, new drones. Another thing I was looking at, however, which I found very interesting, was public opinion in the country. So nearly 90% of Ukrainians say they want the country to keep fighting. So, you know, unambiguous support there. By contrast, in Russia only 36% want the country to press on with the war. 57% favour peace talks. Intriguingly, however, support for Vladimir Putin remains robust at 79%. Now, we have to take those statistics with a grain of salt. I was just going to say that because truth being the first casualty of war and all of that. Exactly. how, How accurate can we... Well, independent polling in Russia, as you would imagine, very difficult to ascertain the specific, you know, the specific figures around it. But I mean, it does point to, it does point to, I mean, support for Vladimir Putin is strong, but we've had a lot of rumours suggesting that he may be under a little bit of pressure. And there is no doubt this war has been a disaster for Russia. You can't get around that fact. The question is, how long will they be willing to press on with it? and uh, what their long-term objectives are. Now, from the Western perspective, the long-term objectives are interesting. I mean, President Biden, at times he's floated with the notion of, of ousting Putin from power. On other occasions, he's spoken about devising kind of an off-ramp for the Russian president. So kind of mixed views among them. The leaders of the G7 industrialised countries, they've given their full support to Ukraine's independence. But it will be very, very interesting because in a broader international perspective, I mean, China seems to quietly disapprove of Russia's management of the war. You know, they've taken a very interesting position on this. Mm. Meanwhile, you have Vladimir Putin trying to kind of woo developing countries, poorer countries, in order to build a coalition of support for him. So he's kind of becoming increasingly desperate, it should be said. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But behind the scenes, are people coming up with scenarios of peace, if you know what I mean? Is there speculation or is there... I, I think that I think there there certainly is. And I think, you know, one would wonder whether America will try to maybe temper or limit Ukraine's ambitions when it comes to the war and when it comes to taking back all yes. their territory. I mean, I've no doubt the preference in the White House is for Ukraine to reclaim all their territory as as they should deserve as they deserve to. But there is increasing pressure, and I mean, the US have done this before in other contexts, maybe in relation to Israel and that, where they have put subtle pressure. You know, will they maybe withhold a certain amount of military aid? It is very, very interesting. I mean, it all yes, points to the fact that Ukraine's fate is probably not entirely 
within its own hands. It depends on... And when you talk about all of Ukrainian territory, are you talking about pre-2014? Are you talking about Crimea? Well, that is the aspiration and that is what most Western leaders have hinted, but that will be very, That's... very difficult to achieve. Some will say completely unrealistic. I couldn't see Putin. No, uh, in, no. In, and, in and I think any scenario being there. realistic, it is highly unlikely. I think it's everybody's preference, as I said, but in reality, it would be very, very hard to achieve. So, I think so you know, too, Putin's yeah. calculations are anyone's guess yeah, at this and, point. And, of course, we heard about that little skirmish between uh, Zelensky and uh, Biden as well, where, he, you know, Zelensky didn't seem grateful enough, according no, to No, yes, and I mean, yeah. those when those tensions start to emerge, it probably isn't, an, uh, isn't a great sign, yeah. you know, because it shows maybe fractures in, in, the, in the level of support and that... You know, the West is dealing with an energy crisis and, and those issues are really coming to bear Absol- at the moment. Absolutely. And and uh, that energy crisis, I suppose, due largely to what's happening in, exactly, in, in Ukraine precisely. as well. Let's move to Nigeria and uh, Peter Obi. Yes, yes. Now, I'm always attracted to these kind of charismatic, eccentric, eccentric figures in African politics. Yes. They kind of... They have an allure to them. The difference with this guy, though, his name is Peter Obi, and he's a candidate to become Nigeria's next president. President. The difference with this guy, in contrast to maybe others we've previewed, this guy is in with a shot, and he's in with a very realistic shot. Now, it should be said, there is still a long way to go before the presidential election next year. But this Peter Obi, he's kind of a, a reformist candidate, which has emerged and captured the imaginations of young people. Now, just to go through it, Nigeria is actually Africa's most populous nation. So it has a population of 211 million. Wow. And, you know, I've read various pieces saying it it should really and truly be the wealthiest country as well. It has an abundance of natural resources, oil, gas, precious minerals, but it has been ravaged by corruption and inept inept governments and they've failed to capitalise on kind of the rich economic potential of the country. So, you know, that's a very familiar yeah. story. So what about this guy that he's wealthy himself? Yeah, uh, the difference, though, is he actually made his money before entering politics. So <laughs> in contrast to most uh, yes. most African politicians who siphon off their own, uh, their own money in, in kind of corrupt practices, this guy made his money before entering politics. And he is kind of... He has branded himself as a revolutionary, like he's, he, he is, yeah, he's rich, but he's energetic and he's kind of inventive and he's perceived as a pragmatic and effective politician. He served two terms as governor as one, of one of Nigeria's biggest states and by all accounts, he performed quite well. He ended with a fiscal surplus. He elevated their score on the Human Development Index and that measures kind of life expectancy income, education levels. He also, interestingly, stood as a vice president back in 2019. Now, he was unsuccessful, but the point of the matter, the fact of the matter is he has a good track record and he also has relative youth on his side. He's only 61. Now, he's right. not he's not a astonishingly young, but the other candidates <laughs> are... Steady now, Thomas. Steady. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, the other candidates are past what in Ireland we might consider uh, retirement age. They're right. 70 and 75, respectively. And I, be, I suppose the key thing about Peter Obi is, as I've mentioned, he has become a champion of the young. He has captured the, the imaginations of yes. a younger 
generations. But he, he's standing for the Labour Party. But I mean, what kind of Labour Party is it? Yeah. Is it a left a left wing? Yeah, or? and it, you see, it can be a little bit obscure when it comes to African politics. Right. Okay. And you know, this could this could act as an impediment on his path to power as well, because the Labour Party isn't very very popular. They're kind of a small electoral faction within Parliament. They don't belong to either of the two main party groups. And partisan loyalty remains very entrenched in Nigeria. So politics is often conducted along ethnic or religious lines. And uh, even though they're very rich in terms of, you know, uh, natural resources and the like, I mean, it's very poor, isn't it? Just how poor is it? Yeah, they're, they're... Forty uh, percent of the population surviving on less than one dollar ninety a day. So wow. that is, you know, incredibly poor. There is obviously entrenched poverty there across the cent- or across the country. Like what what crit- or what um, analysts have said about Peter Obi is he may represent kind of an opportunity for Nigeria to break free of the kind of stranglehold which they've been under. And to capitalise on the rich economic potential. Now, as I've mentioned, there are a number of potential risks or potential obstacles in his path. One is those party loyalties, are those party loyalties. Another is religion. He is a Christian who hails from the south of the country. And that could undermine support for him in the north. The north is predominantly Muslim. And the third, the third risk to his electoral campaign, you guessed it, electoral rigging and general kind of malpractice, corruption, that remains very entrenched in Africa. And Nigeria has cleaned up its act to a certain extent, but there is no guarantee that the election will be free and fair. So that will be a concern for him. It's going to be interesting for sure. Um, in terms of what we should be watching out for this week, Thomas? Yeah, I caught, I caught eye at this story, the rift at the heart of the EU. It's an extraordinary story, really. Yeah. And I, I want listeners to pay attention maybe to the dynamic between the two most senior politicians in the European Union, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and European Council President Charles Michel. Now, they are the head of the EU's two most powerful institutions, but it appears that their relationship has almost broken down entirely. A serious fracture has emerged in their relationship. They're supposed to stand side by side, but, yeah, as I said, their relationship is completely fractured uh, to the extent that they even do their utmost to avoid each other, if right. at all possible. And why? What's behind this? Well, if we remember back, and some will recall the infamous Sofa Gate yeah. incident, whereby Charles Michel and Ursula von der Leyen were meeting Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Now, Michel sat in a chair, and von der Leyen was denied an opportunity to sit down. And it was apparently, the most uncomfortable piece of video. Oh, it, it was! Yeah. It was incredibly mm. awkward to watch. It was incredibly uncomfortable. And apparently these tensions have emerged from that. But it is kind of a worrying development because, I mean, when you have these two politicians, they're at the heart of power in the European Union and they're hardly on speaking terms. I mean, that is a cause for concern, surely. Isn't it just uh, indeed? Um, Cracking down on big tech, of course, the uh, European Digital Services Act. What should we look out for there? Yeah, just just to note this, because I think it will have an impact on people's day-to-day lives. The European Digital Services Act entered into force last week. And what that is, is essentially a new law which obliges social media companies to apply proper regulatory measures, proper regulations to their platforms. So it limits the illegal dissemination of content, it limits hate speech, pornography, terrorist videos. 
it also affects online advertising. So listeners will will be influenced by this. Their day-to-day affairs on social media, most of us are now members of social media and they may notice subtle changes. They may notice kind of a, a moderation in content on the platform. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Just about out of time, but can we give a quick mention to uh, Qatar? Because uh, yesterday, there's glee almost right across the newspapers today at the fact that Qatar lost out to Ecuador, wasn't we, it? We certainly, yeah. And yeah. I mean, you spoke about it earlier in the yeah. show, how the politics has kind of overshadowed the Completely. football. Now, Completely. I'm a big football Absolutely. fan. I'm looking forward to the games today and that. And, and I will still watch it, but perhaps reluctantly so. Yeah. Uh, and there is no doubt that these human rights issues and the LGBT issues will continue to fester for as long as this tournament plays out. That address by the FIFA president was... A remarkable address last week. A remarkable (laughs) address in in the past couple of days. And it'll be interesting to see how the tournament plays out. My guess is Brazil will win it. Uh, Lula da Silva will be will be will be happy if that's the case. Yeah. But it'll be very interesting. England playing today, so that's most eyes will uh, will be on that game. And of course, huge support needless to say from Ireland for England. Oh, I would imagine so. <laughs> Why not? Thomas, great to see Amongst you. Amongst the DUP, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, Thomas. Thank you. Thank that's uh, Thomas Conway as usual with us on a Monday with our look across the globe. Uh, news and information is on the way. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good morning, Marco Pat. Uh, welcome along to the final hour of Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Colette, thank you so much for the most wonderful story indeed. I won't read it out because you've agreed to come on and chat to me in the morning, but it's a lovely story and uh, it was... Uh, uh, brought back to your memory, indeed, by my chat with uh, Joe Noble earlier on. But thank you for that. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. Monica is in Shinron. Good morning, Monica. How are you, Fran? I'm very well, indeed. Are you all set to play Match 3? <laughs> sure, look, we give it a go. And, and why not, indeed? You feeling lucky today? Um, maybe a little, I don't know. Okay. We'll see. Okay, well, we wish you the very best. I'm sure you know Thank the rules you. at this point. I'll ask you for a number between 1 and 90. If the uh, box is empty, I'll give you another shot at it. And if you get two empty boxes in a row, I have to say goodbye to you. Is that okay, Monica? That's fine, yep. All right, okay. So, first of all, can you give me a number between 1 and 90? Number 11. Let's have a look in the box. And it is a Kenwood Prospero mixer and it's valued at just about €150. Uh, Euro. Nice prize, I'm sure you'll agree. Absolutely, yeah. All right, pick another number for me, Monica. Um, 52. 52. Let's open 52. 52 is another Kenwood Prospero. Uh, mixer, and uh, well done to you. So two out of three ain't bad, but uh, let's see if we can get the third one. Pick a third okay. box for me. Um, number 88. 
number 88. Let's open that one. We have a winner. Well done Very to you, good. Monica. A Kenwood Prospera uh, mixer is yours. It's valued at 150 euros. It's a nice prize, isn't it? Yeah, I'll start baking now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do anything rash now, Monica. Don't do anything <laughs> no, rash. Well done to you indeed. And, and do you bake? Are you into that? Uh, now and then I might take a, a mad notion. But right. yeah, I have the equipment now, so there's no stopping me. There's no stopping you, and I'll expect lots of apple tarts and uh, rhubarb tarts and all of that. <laughs> Do you want to say hello to anybody as you're on, Monica? Um, just anyone that knows me. My my mother-in-law is probably listening, Sarah Williams. Oh, very oh, of course, yeah. yes. So hello yeah. to hello to Sarah and to all of your yeah. family indeed. Monica, lovely to talk to you today. Well done to you. Great, thanks Thank a you. million. Thank you. Bye Thank bye you. to you now. Bye. That's Monica Williams there of Shinron winning that lovely. Uh, Kenwood a mixer there, which will come in very handy, I would imagine, altogether. We wish her well. Um, we spoke to Councillor John Fitzgerald earlier on in the show and I asked him about speculation that an increase in rates could be on the horizon for businesses in Clonmel. Well, Councillor Michael Murphy uh, joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Fran. And uh, really good to talk to you today. I, I'd you. like to talk to you about uh, what you call for where free parking is concerned in the town in just a moment. But first of all, could I ask you about uh, the the rates? I mean, was there a proposal to increase rates? Yes, yeah, so let me be very clear. There is a proposal um, in terms of the budget document that has been circulated to the members, uh, a proposal to increase rates uh, commercial rates by uh, 7%. Um, let me give the context for that. In fairness to the Chief Executive and the Head of Finance, you know, local authorities are facing a very challenging time at the moment, but the main, um, I suppose, foundation to this increase is the need for match funding for the RRDF uh, projects that were announced last week to great fanfare, as you know, for an over 30 mm-hmm. million uh, coming into Clonmel, and it's anticipated that future URDF uh, applications will be lodged for both uh, Clonmel and NINA. On the other side of the coin, and I agree totally with my colleague, Councillor Fitzgerald, and we all know the extraordinary challenges faced by the SME sector, uh, by the retail sector, by small family businesses at the moment. It's safe to say uh, that they're in the eye of a perfect storm. Uh, like my colleague, Councillor Fitzgerald, uh, I'm not in favour in any uh, increase uh, in rates. And as John said, we'll be bringing this message to the Fianna Gael Group uh, on the Council and indeed uh, to the wider budget workshops uh, this week as well and indeed to the budget meeting on Friday. Right, but if they're looking for a 7% increase, um, you know, human beings being what they are, they w- would accept less, but they would insist, I guess, on some kind of an increase. Well, that's for debate, uh, Fran. As I said, my position is exactly the same as Councillor Fitzgerald's. I'm not in favour of any increase uh, in rates. I feel it's the wrong time, um, notwithstanding the need for extra resources, but I think we have to explore uh, other avenues. And, you know, you often ask, Fran, and you've asked me... Uh, Uh, in the last decade, you know, what powers do we have uh, as a councillor, you know, and one of the reserve functions uh, of the members uh, is to uh, adopt uh, a budget or otherwise, and indeed to set the commercial rate. um, Mm. But a a political party might go along with the authority and the the whip might be produced, Michael. Sometimes, Fran, irrespective of the consequences, you have to make the right decision. Right, so even if it is uh, a whip situation, you're saying you'd vote against it? I'll obviously be discussing this with my colleagues, as will Councillor Fitzgerald, but I want to be very clear, irrespective of the consequences, sometimes it's a case of making the right decision. Right, and those consequences 
would be interesting if you if you defied the, the well I, as I said Fran and I, I don't want to think like there's a wider view within the Fine Gael group as well and the Fine Gael group will always do what's right in the best interest of Tipperary myself and Councillor Fitzgerald will do what we always do we'll do what's in the best interest of Clonmel but if okay say it's voted down then money will have to come from somewhere I guess it will, it will be a difficult uh, Fran and we all have to knock our heads together and including uh, Fran not just the Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil members of the council remember we have um, I think it's 19 independents yeah. um, you know we have a lot of money coming into Carrick and Shore we have a Sinn Féin mayor, mayor of Carrick and Shore we have a lot of money coming into uh, the care uh, area as well two independents in care a lot of money coming into Ross Gray so I'd be very interested to hear what those members have to say in the context of the challenges we face and the urgent need for match funding. Now, speaking of funding for the authority, I know you called for free parking in the town in the run-up to Christmas. It certainly led to a bit of a row with uh, Siobhan Ambrose. Can you give me the background to that? Yes, a very heated debate, uh, Fran, and I was very diff very disappointed to be accused of... You were playing politics, I believe. Yeah, I was accused of political opportunism Mm. and those that know me, Fran, and, you know, people can judge me for themselves, but I've always acted uh, in the best interest of Clonmel uh, in any intervention I've made uh, in the chamber in Clonmel. Indeed, at county level, I do so with a sense of passion and, and pride. So very disappointed to be accused of political uh, opportunism when the press were uh, present. Um, I made a case um, of, yeah, I welcome the free Saturdays. Uh, throughout the month of December in the context of free parking. I made the point that in Nina, there is free parking for three hours every Saturday for 52 uh, weeks of the year. Uh, Rough calculation, that's 150 hours of free parking. We have five Saturdays uh, in Clonmel, uh, 40 hours of free parking. I feel that's a bit uh, unfair. I propose that we have a period of perhaps three or four hours every day for the three weeks leading up to Christmas from the 7th of December. Um, It will was seconded by my colleague Councillor Niall Dennehy and received support uh, from uh, other councillors as well but unfortunately another councillor accused me of political opportunism but you know it is a political chamber um, you know, where else do you make such uh, proposals? So I make no apologies well, But Siobhan Ambrose's um, angle on this was that you didn't sort of raise it before, you didn't flag it before you brought it up in public. Look, Fran, you've uh, and many of your colleagues in the newsroom have attended many debates in many chambers down through the years. There is no requirement on me as a political representative to make um, other colleagues aware of any proposal I want to make, whether it's a notice of motion or um, on a matter of uh, importance uh, at that particular time. So there's no requirement on me to make any. And you see, the difference between me and others is that if somebody else made that proposal in the chamber, Frank, I would have welcomed that wholeheartedly. But, of course, there is a need for, for, for funding the, the authority and the work the authority does. So uh, that uh, has to be taken into account. Uh, absolutely, uh, Fran. And I would, make the, um, I would make this argument, and I regret not actually making it actually in the debate itself, but it was so heated it's hard to think of, of everything. Fran, we have a situation at the moment in terms of the prime retail area. We have businesses that are fighting for their very, very uh, survival. Mm. Nobody can doubt that. Their resilience... Uh, their motivation, ambition has been tested like never before. And for many businesses operating in the prime retail area, the Christmas trading period is crucial. In terms of their annual uh, turnover, 50% of that could be over the Christmas period. And if they don't have a buoyant Christmas, they simply won't survive uh, in the new year. That's a fact. And when businesses don't survive, that's it. Rates are gone. 
there they, there's no comeback to the council. So I would argue it's a cost-neutral measure in terms of ensuring the survival of many, many businesses so that the council then, uh, as a consequence, are in a position over a period of time to recoup that those. But if a business is closed, that's it. The rates income is gone. That brings us to the other uh, conversation that I had with uh, John Fitzgerald then, which is about the Christmas lights. And there was a lot of finger pointing at businesses for not sort of stepping up to the mark where where that is concerned. How, how do you feel about that, Mike? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to thank my colleague, Councillor Fitzgerald, because he first raised that last uh, September. Mm. And in my intervention uh, during that debate on, on Wednesday, I did, um, I've engaged with many, many different uh, rate payers, and they were particularly annoyed with comments coming from the executive, more or less pointing the finger uh, at them. Now, I don't think that was the intention, but that was certainly the perception. And I again, come to the, you know, the, like the state of play at the moment where businesses are really really struggling. They have no, no cash flow. And I come back to you, and I'm not trying to create this kind of Clonmel versus Nina, but I can only reflect on what they're actually saying to me. And there is a perception that there is budgetary discrimination uh, between. Now, I'm not saying there is, but there's a perception amongst businesses because the ratepayers in Nina, and as far as I'm aware, the ratepayers in Torles do not do not contribute to the Christmas lights. And I ask for clarity on that. Like, it shouldn't be like the third secret of Fatima. Mm. We should have transparency in terms of how our different towns across the county are funded. I do accept what the district um, manager has said, that the reasons are historical and complex, uh, that in other areas then Clonmel wins. But we need to have transparency. But look, as Councillor Fitzgerald said area, we need to develop a proper framework going forward. We can't be in this situation uh, in 2023 in the context of uh, Christmas uh, lights. And I do want to thank um, Carl Creighton and indeed uh, Sinead Carr for the efforts they've made and indeed the Chamber of Commerce as well. And it is a fact that a number of businesses came on board, but the largest sponsor was Gloss, who are the contractors for the Kick and Barracks uh, Plaza. So I just want to thank everybody for coming together to sort out the issue. And, you know, going back again to the parking, it always strikes me, Michael, there should be uniformity around the county in terms of stuff like parking or contribution to lights and all of that. I I, I agree with you, Fran. And, And again... You know, look, I have to champion Clamel, but the reality is, in terms of the parking revenue throughout the county, 50% of all parking revenue comes from Clonmel, and I don't believe that that's uh, sustainable. And you asked me in the context of the budget, you know, and I'll come forward with proposals uh, at our budget meeting on Friday, but surely that's unsustainable, the 50%. I think there's more parking meters in Clonmel than in all the other towns combined throughout the rest of the county, and that's something I'm just waiting for clarity on. But that's not sustainable. That's not fair. We need harmonisation. And is that an impediment? Is that an impediment to business, you think? It certainly is. Now, we do have half-hour free parking in uh, Mary Street, um, but of course it is. Um, people want convenience. They want to be able to arrive into the town centre um, and, you know, park um, at a relatively uh, competitive... Now, we do have competitive rates in Shore Island where it's €3 Euros, mm. uh, all day. But, friend, before the interview finishes, just to give me one opportunity, now more sure. than ever, to appeal to people to shop local, yeah. to Nina people to shop in Nina, Torless people to shop... and throughout care, Tipperary, and of course my personal appeal to the citizens of Clonmel. This is 
Um, this is, you know, as I said, such a struggle for many businesses. This Please is support. make or break time for this. This is make or break. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted to say, Fran. And, you know, Please support our family-owned businesses, our menswear. We have a fantastic offering in O'Connell Street, Gladstone Street, Parnell Street, Irishtown. Please support our businesses in the lead-up to uh, Christmas. It's make or break. That's exactly it, Fran. All right. Good to talk to you today, Michael. Thank you and good morning to you. That's uh, Councillor Michael Murphy speaking to us there. Now, Timmy Hammersley spoke to me this morning uh, between uh, 9 and 10 about an incident over the weekend where he stood up to a man who was being racist to two young boys in a shop in Dublin. Now, it makes you wonder how you would react in a similar situation. Here's a little of what Timmy had to say. I was at the rugby game in the Aviva Saturday there, and I just went across to the shop. Shortly after going in, there was two kids of colour, um, probably about 14 or 15 year old, and they were decked out in Irish gear coming from the game. Mm. One of the kids kind of tripped out in front of this older guy or, or something, something very, very small. Mm. And that an your man and he was drunk and he was there with his friends and he just started saying, there's a smell off you. And he kept on saying, it, you know, there, oh there, there's a smell around here now, all that stuff, you know, and it just kind of, and said it loud and then it kind of just walked off and his friends walked out of the shop Oh, yeah, do you know, I was just mad, just really mad. 14 or 15 year olds there going to the match, like, that's mm. the last thing that they should have to deal with um, from a drunken fella who just obviously thought he could say what he wanted, really. And uh, so you always have that, that split second, haven't you? Will I say something? Will I Will it just make it worse or what? You know, so didn't want to um, allow it go. He was getting whatever he was, if you can, whatever else. He was there. I kind of stood behind him when he was at the tail, and I just, <laughs> I just waited for him there. And as soon as he turned around, I just said, "You're not passing me, or you go back and apologise to those kids that were still at the counter." He came from, and he kind of eyed me up there for a second or two, and he turned around and he went back and apologised. And he said, uh, "He, he can't remember exactly what he said to me, but he did." And he turned around. And I don't look whether it was a half hour. Apology, whether it was an honest one, who knows really. But I definitely got the sense that the young lads felt a bit better about the scenario. Oh, after, he, after he went back. Former Tipperary hurler, that's the great Timmy Hammersley, uh, who spoke to me this morning between 9 and 10. We're on air, of course, at 9 o'clock every weekday morning, and we'd uh, be delighted with your company uh, from 9, 1800 uh, A stretch of Clanmel Feathered uh, Road is expected to remain closed for a number of hours. That's following a recent crash. The incident involved a single motorcyclists and uh, they've been brought by ambulance to hospital with some serious injuries there now. There are diversions in place on the R689 with no estimated time for reopening so far but we'll keep you up to speed on where that is concerned. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie
Now, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by wonderful and glamorous people indeed. And a Christmas drag brunch, the Dream Girls, with special guests Tina D. Parton and Kenny Todgers is coming to the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel on December the 18th. And I'm joined in the studio by Tina and by Kenny. And you're both very welcome. And thank you for coming into us uh, so today much. and very bringing welcome. a bit of much needed glamour to this show, I can tell you. Oh, as well. And uh, Emma is running this live on uh, Facebook, Emma, isn't it? Facebook as well, if you want to have a look at the pictures. And I see Tina's already waving to, to the camera and Kenny as well. Um, can I turn to you first of all, Tina? What can we expect from a Christmas drag brunch? Well, for those that maybe have never been to a drag brunch or a drag show before, here is the simplest Joe Soap breakdown. Okay. So, the doors open at two o'clock. You're welcomed with a glass of Prosecco. Or if you don't drink, a glass of whatever we can get our hands on. Okay. As you can guess, I'm not the bar woman. Anyway, three o'clock, we start with our Christmas bingo featuring Kenny Todgers as Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And the Irish dolly here is Mrs. Claus. Yes. I'll pretend to be angelic for one day anyway. (laughs) And we'll be doing a Christmas themed bingo for the first hour or so with a number and then of course the bingo itself which Mm. is a show that we've been running here in Clonmel for the last few months and we were like okay let's take this aspect and put in a bigger show so going back to the show so we'll have the bingo then take a break where hot food will be served Mm -hmm. and then after the break come with a full cabaret show featuring the the dream girls uh, renowned group from Waterford and Kenny and I. Yes, they're fantastic. So there will be song and there will be shenanigans and all sorts oh, of stuff and oh, full absolutely. drag. And just to, to people who might get a chance to have a look at what's happening on social media, you are looking so well today and Thank so you. glamorous. and <laughs> in, So early in the morning. Full <laughs> yeah, which is remarkable. How long did it take you to get ready this Two morning? Two and a half hours. Two and a half I got hours. up at six o'clock this morning, kicked him out of the bed and was like, right, time to become a woman. <laughs> Kenny, what about you? How long does it take to it get It does in? take about two hours for me as well. Yeah. Does it, yeah? Absolutely, because believe it or not, I wear makeup as well. I kind of go to the same routine do you? as the drag queens do, yeah. Isn't that great? What exactly do you do, Kenny? I wonder myself. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth am I doing? Um, I'm basically yeah. um, what a drag queen is, but I'm the male version. You're the male version? I'm the male version, so I'm a woman that does male impersonation, drag right. king. So okay. I do the same thing. I do the lip syncing, the songs, the jokes. And, and where did all of this come from? I mean, where where did you decide, here's what I'm going to do with my life now? I'm going to... Well, actually, I started film. I started in the 80s. Did you? I was a drag king in the 80s and right. a long time ago. And I stopped for a while. I actually thought I was a trans man. and by do And by doing the drag king, I know it's great to be a woman. So right. I realised I wasn't a trans man at all. So yeah, no, that's how I started. Right. And, and was that difficult in the in the 80s? Uh, totally different. Was Not it? comparable with the days now. Did you get a lot of grief? There is a lot of grief, but you've just stuck to the same people. You just had a, yeah. a clique of people that you always saw. It was always the same people. You didn't go anywhere else. It was quite underground, if you know what I mean. Mm. So, yeah, it was a totally different scenario. Right. I love the description of you. Uh, obviously, you're not um, in the least bit sort of put out by this, but a bearded Liberace with a motorbike instead of a piano and a bobblehead dog for a candelabra. <laughs> what can I say? That's me. <laughs> and they also go on to say eccentric, middle-aged, food-loving chub bear, an affable and a mellow dude. <laughs> 
All natural. I'm the best centre you're ever going to get. Oh, brilliant indeed, yeah. And what about you, Tina? I mean, you know, where does it all begin? I mean, you're a Chanos dancer, for God's sake. Yeah, I... So people... People know me from two worlds. When I was out of drag for three and a half years, I was a renowned Chanos dancer working amongst the country music scene, which was never heard of, and that was since done, thank God. Yeah. And it, I was content dancing, but there was always a missing element. Mm. Like, I loved the flashy suits and the three-piece suits. They were great, but I was like, there's something else. But growing up as well, um, I pretended I was straight. Let's be real. Did you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't work. <laughs> Didn't, <laughs> Didn't work. work. And did you did you have girlfriends? I or? did. Yes. One of them is a lesbian now. Right. Anyway. That, <laughs> we won't say comment too Have much. you any responsibility over that? Uh, no, no. <laughs> but, it's mutual agreement now. Yeah. But was but, it a difficult time for you growing up like that? Um growing up it was a part of me that I just kind of kept hidden. That I was kinda like, nah, I'll deal with that at another stage. And then growing up where you're growing up cultured in like I I was taught to be the priest in the family. Hmm. By the age of eighteen, I was the Eucharistic minister, basket clerical church. I did everything by say the bloody mass, and of course with those beliefs, and you're like, oh my god, what the hell's going through my head? And Dad say it wasn't until I I left home, went to college in Galway, and I was immersed in culture. I was like, okay, there's more to it. And then through the art of drag, discovered a community I never thought I'd ever see. And when I started drag and came out as gay, uh, I was 21. Right. And what was that to, to when you came out? I mean, was there great freedom about that? Was there, there was, because in there was always a part of me just never felt right. Yeah. And I, always, I was always the gentleman. I was rare the old school way. You know, when yeah. you take a lady out, you bring her for a nice dinner and you pay for it. Yes. When you open the doors, you know, all the simple things yeah. that... I was doing and I was like it just never went anywhere but when I discovered that instead of dating Jill I should start dating Jack Hmm. well my god things changed and I definitely became happier amongst myself my family were definitely noticed the difference straight away that things were going to change now they didn't realise that drag was all of a sudden going to take over my life because I put basically I put Thomas Conley the Shano Stancer in a box shoved it under the bed with the suits and all of a sudden, Tina Departon took the stage as the world's only Chanel's dancing drag queen. And 700 shows later, she's still doing it four years on. It's amazing. And and dressing as a woman, you see, I'm always careful about not asking stupid, clumsy yeah. questions here. But, but dre- have to be asked. Dre- dressing as a woman, is that essentially for work? Or do you enjoy that to the point that, you know, it's part of who you are, if you know what I mean? No, I absolutely do. Well... To be quite honest, when I started, I didn't know myself. And like Kenny, the idea of gender, you know, it's very hard. And in today's modern society where you have to, you know, watch where you thread and watch everything. But I had to learn it from me the hard way. Mm. I went through my journey where when I started drag, I was in drag every day of the week, not only for working, but also thinking, God, I felt so much comfortable being teen. And then all of a sudden it took six months of being in drag every day doing shows night after night after night to one night a guy actually asked me on a day I was like hey can I meet you out of drag and then I was like okay there's more to it and then for me um, I toured Canada and America yes. and when I was touring I discovered 
the idea of being non-binary, where okay. you are neither one nor the other, and you don't have to answer to anybody. That's one thing people don't realise. Regardless of your opinions, no one needs to answer to anyone, whether they're a man or a woman. Because there's days I wake up and I go, am I a man or a woman? I have to check the diary to tell me. <laughs> and it's the absolute bloody truth. But and, you know, you, you and I met uh, a few weeks ago and I absolutely. put up a picture of us because we yeah. had great crack downstairs. And we, I put fantastic. up a picture for a bit of a laugh. Wow. The reaction mm. was serious. Yeah. And I don't think, and I, I really want to say this to listeners out there, before you put anything up on social media, think four or five times before you type because the damage you will do without you knowing it. Mm. One particular individual thought he was in the God's given right to do it mm. Mm. and went to town. It was very insulting to, to us both. on the back yeah. of that, I could not sleep for two nights. Are you serious? Yes, because he degraded me to too many different levels to the point I called the guards in Clonmel because I do not take things like that lightly. I fight hard for my job and mm. it's a job. But it would still hurt you, Tina. It I mean, did. It's... It degraded me so many different levels. I rang Kenny crying four or five times. I rang my manager going, why am I doing this? But then I was like, do you know what? I fought too hard. I've gone through much as a drag artist and as an individual. Yes. Um, In the last two years during touring, I was raped twice. Raped? Yeah. And while in drag. Oh my God. And when I see someone like that using those degrading comments, they hit a very different level with me and I do not take prisoners. If some person thinks they have the right to comment, number one, private message. It's a pull up, it's a public platform. No one needs to be putting up big hateful comments because why? Someone gets hurt. And to be honest with you, the picture that went up of you and I, I thought, jeez, I look great with a young lad beside me. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sure Mura was like, who the hell is this blonde one? But you know what? I thought you looked great. I, I got great fun out of the picture. Yeah. I couldn't believe it because, you know, I'd have the normal argy-bargy yeah. with people associating me with political parties and stuff. But I never came across that level of stuff before, it's, you know. It, it, it actually affected everyone. Uh, that, that picture, when I actually saw it and after she called me and I read it, it's, it's not just... The two of ye that was attacked, it was literally everybody. Yeah. Everybody that, and anybody So even you looking at that, Kenny, you would have been offended by I'm it. I'm tearing up yeah. because it was very, very bad. Yeah. And it, again, and I presume just, you're I'm no... I'm so sad that there's people like that out are there. You, you're no stranger to this, I guess, Oh, are absolutely you? not. Absolutely not. I'm definitely no stranger to it. But it, it, when it happens, it, it's, it's just, it just hurts. And it's, it's, it's young people, it's young men, women. It's, they just don't have a clue what they're saying. But but you see the damage that I mean, Tina was tearing up there when you when you were talking to me it's, because that obviously I'm, I'm tearing up as well because it was extremely nasty. It's not something I mean, why why make why do that publicly? That's just well, it's an opinion. Keep it to yourself. Exactly. Well, like here's let's be real. You know, while yes, you know, from the images on social media, it looks as if my life was always glamorous mm, and whatever. Mm, mm. In the words of Robin Williams. Clowns are one of the most saddest people in the bloody world. Yeah. Because yeah. they have to paint on a smile every day. And so do I. Because I was in depression already. Because I was working non-stop night after night after night. I came home from Ireland, or came home to Ireland in July 
23rd and I've worked every single weekend sometimes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays and full on for every week since then my first weekend off is this weekend and we're going to Jimmy Buckley to country music dance with my grandparents <laughs> and why not but that's my first weekend off and so when that guy felt he, he had the right to do it he's two young kids oh, well, we, we, we can't really go into too, no, too but, any but detail all about I'll those, say you can is yeah. no one should be setting that type of example Anyone like for that. anybody, indeed. Like, yeah. Can I take you yeah. back to what you said to me? And I don't. I, I hate to bring it to but revisit it, but you were raped. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. On tour. Yeah. And the damage was not good because I had to come home. I was to tour um, America for another month, and then go and tour England for a month, and then come home to Ireland and go back into touring properly. I physically actually couldn't do it. And Kenny will tell you it was dark days because you couldn't, it, you really couldn't talk to anyone. And because I was so far away from home, I couldn't, I could only talk to three or four members of the family because I didn't want to worry anyone. But yeah. And then. But trying, psychologically, that must have been, you know, oh, and physically, so obviously, but destroying. psychologically. So destroying. And that's why I do drag. Drag, drag, drag. Drag takes the extraordinary out of the ordinary and. For me, you're stepping into someone else's shoes. Even for if it's an hour, 90 minutes, doesn't matter. You're becoming a character. So that the hurt, the shame, whatever you're feeling, you can take that, put on a coat hanger, put in the wardrobe, and all of a sudden take out something different and go, this is, this is well, a, new, a, new, a new leaf. I'm a show busy person myself, so I think yeah. you're both wonderful, absolutely wonderful indeed. Thank Tell you. me about uh, the drag uh, brunch then again. Yes. So it is the, eight, uh, the 18th, 18th of December, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Tablet Hotel in Clonbeth. Yes. Can you book tickets ahead of time? You can indeed. And how do you do that? Now, we try to keep <laughs> it as simple as possible. Why? Because <laughs> I'm a country woman myself. <laughs> now, with this event, we are advising everyone find out how many people want to go and go straight on to eventbrite.ie mm-hmm. now when you go to eventbrite.ie even if it's a Joseph that's never used the, the, the phone before yes, give it to a young one and go here google this when you go to eventbrite go to the search section and look up drag brunch clan mel and it's first option there just hit it book your tickets. Now, we've had a lot of inquiries over the last few weeks about Christmas parties. Is it ideal? Yes, yes of it, course is. it is. If yes. you haven't picked your Christmas party yet and you're like, I don't know what to do and then you're afraid of going out too late at night because half of them are working the next morning, this is ideal. It Absolutely. starts at two o'clock and you're home at six. I think uh, you, you can book at the reception for, uh, as you well, can't can, you? can, but I... I Definitely, my piece of advice, go straight to Eventbrite.ie because you'll have your ticket there and then. Very good. And the 35 euro, that includes everything, doesn't that it? That includes and everything. And a bit of oh, yeah. Including a photo with Santa. Oh, yes. We have to. We have... Oh, look yeah. at this. Can, can, we pick up, can we pick up on yeah. that as well? So we should say to everyone watching, what's going on, Kenny is showing Santa. a photo <laughs> of him as Santa and it is uncanny. <laughs> Annie. Isn't it fantastic? Yeah. Do you like that that role as well, Kenny? Oh yeah, I do it privately as well. Do you? I'm the only woman that I know that actually dresses up as Santa and goes out to families and everything like that and events to be Santa. Oh, isn't it yeah. great? And you, Jenny, are you a biker as well? I'm a biker. Are you? Three motorbikes. 
Oh. Couldn't live without them. <laughs> my my dogs and my motorbikes and my drag, that's all I live for. Well, it was an absolute delight to see you both in oh, studio today. You. And thank you so much. And you're welcome here thank any you. any time whatsoever. Thank you for and us, you, you know, affect the begrudgers and all oh, that, Tina. Absolutely. You know the way it is, don't you? So that's Christmas Drag Brunch, the Dream Girls, special guests, my two guests today, Tina D and Kenny Todgers as well. Sunday, the 18th of December at the Talbot Hotel. And it yes. sounds like mighty crack all together. The, the time, by the way, it's kicking off at two, is Doors open at two, two, show at three, and you'll be home in bed by six. <laughs> Sounds perfect. I Great to see you bed, both. Look after yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. Back with more. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. And you're very welcome back. Your listener says, I saw Tina D at the Heels of Hell show in Vicar Street in 2019. Brilliant performer. Well worth going to see for anybody looking for a great evening's entertainment. And another listener saying, I'm heartbroken. Listening to Tina's story, people should learn to mind their own business. Let people live their own lives their own way. When they are doing no harm, why be so rude, hurtful and offensive? I'm very sorry to hear of uh, the horrible experience. I would hate to think of this happening to my children for just being themselves, says Anne-Marie. 1800-938-007. Now joining me from Tumivara is uh, Paddy O'Brien, chartered physiotherapist from the O'Brien Clinic in Tumivara. Good morning to you, Paddy. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. You're going to speak to us about orthotics, uh, Paddy. And will you tell me what that is? Yeah, Fran, it's, uh, I suppose it's one we spoke about before on the show and I get a lot of queries here in the clinic about orthotics. So basically orthotics are, are, are like an insole, but they're a custom-made device for your feet. And I suppose the first misconception I should get out there with people is that um, people think that because they have flat feet, that they automatically need orthotics. Um, now, I would more like, as a physio, go the route of if you're having pain in your feet, pain in your knees, pain in your hips or your lower back, and your feet can easily be the root of your problem. So, as I said before we started, they're custom-made device, so they need to be made in a lab, in a lab, the prescription form has to be written. You have to treat the imprint of your feet. So it's a quite a complicated process. So an educated clinical eye trained in doing these devices is, is essential, really. And what sort of issues are we talking about that helping with? So, so for example, friend, our, our feet are naturally supposed to what we call proneness, flatten out as we walk. And they're naturally supposed to get to absorb forces. And some people's feet are overly pronated, so they're overly flat as they walk. So that can change the angle of the inside of their ankle. And if you picture there, Fran, as you're sitting there, if you walk and the inside of your knee starts to kind of what we call rotate inwards too much, and that can implications on your hip and your, and, and your lower back. So you start to develop pain if you stand for a living or if you exercise or you walk. So in other words, if you have pain in your joints, then it's an angular thing. It's a biomechanical thing. 
that it's the angle of your feet that are influencing how the rest of your joints move, well, then you're a perfect candidate for a custom-made device like an orthotic. Do you find people come to you and they have no idea that they have an issue with this? Absolutely, friend. I mean, they're the ones, I suppose, that are, are the most satisfying because they've probably been to a lot of people, even consultants, about hip pain or knee pain or back pain. Um, and if you just actually address the angular deformities of their feet, um, it can offload their pain that they're suffering from. So what I would do in the clinic, I mean, we do uh, we have an attachment for an iPad and it gives you a 3D image of the feet. And that's easy enough to do because the software does the job for you. But it's the clinical eye, friend. Getting someone up and walking in the gym here, get them on the treadmill, doing video analysis of how they move and how the angles are interfering with their pain. And you can actually educate the patient and say, listen, it's your feet that are causing your pain in your knee. It's your feet that are causing the pain in your hip or your lower back. They're instantly, I suppose, shocked that, that number one, it is their feet, but they're so happy when they get their devices in their shoes and they have no pain. If it's not addressed, Paddy, does it lead to severe hip problems like replacement and all of that kind of thing as well? Great question, friend. Yeah, I mean, it, it, absolutely. So, I mean, I suppose what we're trying to do here at the clinic is that we're getting kids in in pediatrics and we're seeing kids with overly pronated feet. And if you act early, then you're obviously preventing things from getting worse. But I have lots of clients, friend, that are coming in um, and they have deformities within their feet and how they walk. And it has definitely contributed to wearing out a knee or wearing out a hip. But if it's caught early, um, absolutely, it can definitely prevent that from happening. All right. So ju- just for clarity then, I mean, what symptoms should people be aware of to make them maybe go along to you and get assessed? Yeah, if you have pain anywhere in your ankle, in your knee or your hip, and you can't remember hurting it, and if it's of gradual onset that you're just literally saying my hip or my knee or my ankle has been gradually getting worse, as I've maybe started an exercise routine as I've started to walk more or I'm, or I'm ageing. I suppose they're the ones that are classic examples. It's a gradual onset without any traumatic episode. Um, any swelling, any redness in the feet in general, any high pressurised points like a callus formation on the skin, on the, on the big toe, on the inside of the ankle or on the heel, stuff like that. They're obviously massive indicators that there's actually too much pressure or too much force going through that angle of your hind foot more so than it should be. And a, and, a, and a customized orthotic will help change that angle, turn your foot in a certain way, which will cause it to be happier as you walk. I hope it's not a stupid question, but do, do bunions play a part in this, for example? <laughs> no, it's not a stupid question, Fran. It's absolutely very relevant, actually. It's partly the, the reason. You see, if you think about it logically, again, we have uh, three parts to our foot, for example. The hind foot, the midfoot, and the forefoot. And the bunion is the big toe, which is the forefoot. So if, you, if the angle of your hind foot is turning inwards, well, it causes your arch to collapse, which causes massive pressure through your big toe. So absolutely, if you offload the back of your foot, the middle of your foot, then you can get less risk of developing a bunion. But even if you have a mild bunion, you can actually prevent it from getting any worse. It's very interesting indeed. So it's a trained eye, friend, really, yeah. the summation. It's someone that can see angular changes and relate them to the whole body chain rather than just looking at a foot and banging in an insole thinking, oh, that'll do it. But it's actually looking at the angles of the body and how it moves, how you write the prescription for that person is essential because a few degrees left or right wrong can actually make someone worse or not make a difference at all. It's a waste of money. Right, but it's kind of interesting. People could literally go through the whole life and not realise they're flat feet, for example, or... Yeah, absolutely, friend. Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, friend. There are some people that will come in here with with, with probably overly pronated feet or flat feet, but they're they're not really having massive issues. And 
then people can get away with just having good footwear and, and are lucky. But I suppose it's the angle, I, I said, of the knees and the hips, yes. as well as the flat feet. Well, that's the recipe for disaster. Right. Is fallen arches the same as flat feet? Yeah, pretty much, Fran. You can call it overpronation is the fancy way of saying it, but flat feet and fallen arches, absolutely, Fran. It, cor- it correlates all the same, yeah. Right. Here's a question that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. Jenny was on to us and she wants to know when I ask Paddy what advice he has for somebody suffering with plantar fasciitis. How, how do you pronounce that? F- uh, plantar fasciitis. Fasciitis, isn't it? Uh, uh, what, what about that, Paddy? Yeah, it ties in perfectly with the conversation, Fran, really. I mean, plantar fasciitis, the plantar fascia is um, on the sole of our feet. It's basically a long, fan-shaped muscle that goes from our heel right up to the balls of our toes. And it can become quite inflamed and sore if you're overusing the body by running on different surfaces, by inadequate shock absorption, overly flat feet, someone with a high arch, even the wrong footwear. I see it a lot in people that commence a new exercise routine and probably go too hard too soon and they get a little inflammation of that little fan-shaped muscle. And some people that are training on hard ground during the summer, um, inadequate footwear again can cause it. Very debilitating, friend. Very sore. Uh, first thing in the morning, they put their foot to the floor, they're limping. Um, and it really plays havoc with sports people as well. So, yeah, I mean, an insole, a narcotic um, physio treatment and a proper assessment is, is going to get rid of that for you probably. Interesting question, Paddy. One of our listeners wanted to know, would somebody who needs a knee replacement benefit from orthotics? Uh, absolutely. It depends on how severe or how far they're gone with their arthritis in their knee. So, for example, if someone's at end stage and they're about to get a replacement and they're very sore and swollen and really badly need the replacement, I would advise that person to go for the replacement and then maybe seek advice about the angles after the surgery because a a knee replacement usually changes the whole angle of how somebody walks and it actually corrects all the deformity that they've got. If they're only mild arthritis or they're moderate arthritis and they're kind of not really too, I suppose, keen on getting the knee done, Absolutely, they'd be a candidate for getting assessed for orthotics to change the angle for them. Right, but but post surgery, you think uh, all all of the it's all done. You don't need the orthotics. Probably not, friend. As regards the knee pain, is probably sorted by having, I suppose, the new the new knee in. But you have to think about the other knee. I suppose both feet have to be assessed because you might have the same deformity in the other foot and might cause a little bit of wear and tear in the other knee. So an assessment is probably worthwhile just in case to see what the other knee and foot is doing. But usually their knee pain is started with, with, um, with, with a new knee. Yeah, Margaret is in Clonmel and she's asking questions about footwear, I suppose, in terms of uh, adding insult to injury where, where foot conditions are concerned. And she's particularly conscious about flip-flops, for example. How does Paddy feel about this? Uh, you know, this is a massive field, fan. The footwear ties into perfectly the, the orthotics. I mean, I mean, we all wear flip-flops in the, in the, in the summer weather. Um, they are quite flat. That's the only thing. They're improved over the years, so you can get a kind of a flip-flop or a sandal or a slider or a slip-on, uh, slipper, as they call them nowadays. And they're, they're quite chunky, and they're a little bit better than what we used to wear when we were younger. But, like, it, it depends, friend. If someone's only wearing them from A to B, going to the beach, or getting in and out of the car, if they're driving somewhere, fine. But if you're walking long distance in them, I wouldn't advocate it because there's not enough support in them. Right. Um, 
one thing I saw Fran a lot actually this summer here was um, because the ground was so hard lots of sports people coming in with um, plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendon pain um, on the basis of that they were wearing their football boots or hurling boots running a lot instead of when they're not playing matches so it's a classic example that Margaret is saying that if you're wearing runners for example when you're running on a hard surface like a pitch and you don't need your mm. boots it's a classic example of footwear being a causative factor to the pain you know Right a listener says I broke the outer bone in my foot and now I'm having ankle and knee problems I'm 70 does Paddy have any advice? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a prime example. So if you had a bit of a fracture, that means that person's been immobilized for a period. So they've probably got a lot of muscle weakness and that can cause a lot of uh, problems up the body then. So again, looking at the angles of how the body has responded to the fracture, uh, what weaknesses they have to strengthen up the muscles can offload the pain they're getting higher up. Some people found with a fracture have spent long periods on crutches or in a boot or a cast and they've learned to walk differently, so subconsciously they mightn't be walking properly anymore, which is causing pain somewhere else. So that person would definitely benefit from a full biomechanical assessment and making sure that their gait pattern is normalised, their strengths are put back to place, and that pain should go. Right. Somebody wondering about how long the assessment takes, Paddy. Yeah, Fran, usually I would be 45 minutes, an hour, maybe 45 minutes, depends on the severity of things coming in. Yes. The actual process of doing orthotics, friend, due to technology, has improved. Like I said, it's, it's taken a 3D image on an iPad of the feet. And, but the assessment I do is on a gym. It might be on a treadmill. It might not. It depends it, how severe things are, whether I need to see people moving or not. All right. All sorts of questions in about prices and the, the like. It's best that people would talk to yourselves there, I guess, Paddy. How can they do that? The uh, best plan is to contact us on the phone is 067 one, or they can uh, email us at info at o'brienclinic.ie Alright, always good to talk to you Paddy and thank you for your time today. Thank you, good morning Thanks, to man. you. Bye-bye. That's Paddy O'Brien there of uh, O'Brien's uh, clinic, uh, physiotherapy clinic in uh, Tumivara chatting to us uh, today. That wraps up the show for today. Emma produced, Ali looks after her content and Stephen is on the way and I will talk to you tomorrow. Do look after yourselves in the meantime, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie